0: A series of three planes crash, and they all have something in common. What caused these flights to crash so similarly?
1: Welcome back to the Hard Landings Podcast, everybody. I'm Nick.
2: I'm Miranda. And I'm Christy. And today, we have a guest.
1: Hello. My name's Aaron.
2: Hello. Hello. This is Erin. She's a friend from Band. Yes. Aren't you also a patron?
1: I oh yes. Signed up huh. like a little bit ago. Yeah. Erin's yeah. also a
2: patron. Yes. I, thank you. Speaking of patrons, I'm pretty sure we have a
0: new patron that we should thank, and yes. I don't want to forget to do so now. No, that that was that. that was it. Okay. 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 Just wanted to make sure because well, like we're good. We're good. It's been a while, guys.
2: This has been <laughs> literally. We are not going to talk about <laughs> how far behind in recording we are. We're well, very
1: behind. For one and two. Since the last time we recorded, this place has been... Oh oh, oh, my God, things have changed a lot. Okay, my job has been insane, as many of you have probably figured out by now, since the holidays are now behind us. Happy New Year, by the way. (laughs) Happy New Year. Yeah, I work for the airlines, and yes, it was much worse than you can even imagine. An absolute show yep it was like the apocalypse that is the best way i can put it
0: so we planned on recording this earlier and on then, like three separate occasions
2: and then nick got stuck at the airport more than once oh yeah
1: like, we'll oh just wait oh till all hours of the night
2: <laughs> there was one morning where nick crawled into bed at like 3 a.m.
1: yep yep that yeah, was about right. and then I was back at the airport at eleven <laughs> at least Woo-hoo! I slept a little bit, but man that was and then that day was really rough too. that day was almost hey, you draining. got you got
2: home at a reasonable hour of nine thirty
1: yeah I know <laughs> that's that was a lot. way more reasonable, yep
2: and that's when we found out that home goods is open till eleven
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> well, there you go <laughs> yeah so yeah, this has been just chaos and then you know the holidays and everything, so it's been it's a lot. It's been It's been a lot. More guys. than a lot.
2: <laughs> Miranda only got one new blanket this year? Yeah.
0: The rest of my family has keen now to like not give me blankets anymore.
1: We got 5.
0: <laughs> one of which I have right now.
1: Yes. Yes, you do.
0: Okay. I don't know what what else there is with housewarming stuff. Housekeeping, Housekeeping stuff, keeping house Housekeeping. Whatever. Yeah. I hope your house is warm. Yeah. <laughs> it's, cold.
1: it's been cold everywhere. It's hard not to think about warm things.
0: Yeah. Okay. I would what are say, we covering today, Miranda? Yeah, I was like, I would say, what are we covering today, myself? But because I'm the one starting. What here. are we
1: covering today, Miranda? Okay. okay. This so is kind of a weird thing. This to is make.
0: a weird one, because basically what's happening is me, Christy, and Nick are covering three separate flights that all have a theme, which you'll figure out. Thank you to Bob Thanks, for recommending Bob. these, because... Bob recommended these together, and we were like, oh, they're short. We'll just
2: put them all together. Yeah.
1: So Turns out. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. That's why Aaron is here. Aaron yes. is here to be our unknowing person, hold, support.
2: The, the, hold on. What does that mean?
1: Person. Yes. So if you have any questions, please stop us along the way.
2: Please okay. speak up. Please be rude about it, because we please. will keep
1: talking. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so this is an odd thing we're doing. Okay. But we're going to do it.
0: So I'm starting with our first story of the day. So we're going to talk about November 1, 5, November Yankee. All right. Which was a general aviation flight, if you haven't figured that out, from Akron, Ohio to Canton, Ohio.
1: Yes, Akron to Canton. Wow. Those are are really close together. They're so close together, in fact, that there is one airport called (laughs) (laughs) Akron-Canton, and it's right between the two, and it is actually a relatively major commercial airport.
0: Yeah, and it wasn't a very long flight at all. So we'll get into it. This flight occurred on August 2nd. <laughs> Happy birthday. Happy birthday.
1: <laughs>
2: that was not intentional.
1: <laughs> of
0: 1979, Ooh, which I was not born ago. then. So.
1: Nope, that was a hot minute ago.
0: It was on a Cessna CE 501 Citation. Nice.
1: Okay, so it was a jet.
0: Yes, it, they, they were on a jet.
1: That was probably a really early Citation then. Yes. Because they were built in the 70s. Yes. That was like their first thing.
0: There were three people on board this flight. The pilot, who we'll get into in a second, and two associates of said pilot, and we'll get into them also in a second, because they're all pilots it's the whole thing.
2: Oh, that sounds like mine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the pilot of this aircraft, his name was Thurman Munson. He was trained and certified in accordance with the current regulations at the time. We'll get into him more in a second cuz I have more on him. He had a total of 516.2 hours total. Okay. With 33.8 hours on the Citation.
1: Okay. Now, so new to the Citation, in. 500 hours, okay.
0: Yeah. So, let's get into this person. This,
2: this This individual.
0: He was an American professional baseball catcher who played 11 seasons in Major League Baseball for the New York Yankees.
2: Did he only play for the Yankees? He only played See, for the Yankees. And, and, oh, I got a list later.
1: <laughs> and that is, that would explain the tail number. Yes. November Yankee. November Yankee. New York. New York.
0: <laughs> he was a seven-time All-Star career player. Okay. And he had a career average of .292 with 113 home runs and 701 runs batted in.
1: I assume those are all really good stats. I have no idea. I
0: have no idea either. I mean, either. I can't
1: do any of that. So that is amazing to me. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's, it's awesome and great. But the basic point is, is he's a famous baseball player. And he played for the Yankees and cool. he was the catcher for the
1: Yankees uh, okay. for
0: 11 seasons, Holy which is a really yeah, long
1: is, time. That is a pretty solid amount of time.
0: And the fact that they never traded him probably was the key to thing that he was a good player. Yes. So, I said there were three people on this flight. Yes. Yep. The pilot in the right seat, because yes, he was a pilot. I do not have names other than the pilot who is flying, by the way. One of the associates... He was a flight instructor for the flying pilot at the time, but he was not qualified to fly this aircraft. Oh boy. So he did not give him, he was not the person who taught Munson how to fly this aircraft, but he was a previous flight instructor for Munson. Gotcha. He was just an observer. Like he wasn't certified to fly this aircraft at all. He'd never flown it. There was no... Were
2: they like friends? Yeah. Okay. The two people that were
0: in the plane with him were friends. Okay. Which is why they were with him. But I mean, he was just there to be like, yo, yeah, this is cool. Look at that. I'm pretty sure this was like a flight where Munson was like, look "Look at at my new airplane. (laughs) Because he owned this airplane. He was like, look at my new airplane. Isn't it cool? Type of thing. (laughs) And then the passenger in the back... He was also a pilot, was not rated or trained, and he never flew a Cessna Citation. So he was also just there for the ride. Like, he just was like, cool, this is great. After all three pilots boarded the aircraft and all the doors were closed, the passengers were not briefed regarding the location of shoulder harnesses. This comes into importance later.
1: Okay. Ah! Yeah, that's...
0: The operation of the emergency exits... Or procedures to follow in an emergency. This surprises me because whenever we fly with Brendan, he's like, "Okay, let's go through all of these things." Yes.
2: Yeah. Well, granted, to- whenever I've gone with Nick's dad, he does not do that.
0: <laughs>
1: no, I mean, I,
0: th- I think Brendan does well, it just yeah. because Brendan's like a fairly new pilot, and so
1: yes. When you're talking about small aircraft, I mean, it is nice to know some of those things, but it is pretty obvious. <laughs>
0: well, we'll get- to why they really should have done that later. in a citation it's
1: a little different it's a jet it is a yes. jet and there's a lot of things you should know so where's the third individual
2: sitting
0: so i'll get into that in a second okay the passenger in the back like was in the
1: cabin now. yeah yeah there we go
0: <laughs> he left his seatbelt loosely fastened across his lap so he could turn mm-hmm. around and face the cockpit of course for a partially forward view of the cockpit but okay. he didn't have a harness on so he mm-hmm. was right behind the pilot Right. In a seat that was turned facing the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. And he just wanted to turn around and be able to talk to them. So okay. you know, we'll gotcha. keep put the seatbelt on super tightly.
1: Why, why were the seats like that? So,
0: and we could probably pull up a, a view of this inside of a citation, but most jets like have seats that face back, some face forward, some face back, some face forward. Right. Depending on how it's many seats of, are in okay. that. They
1: call it kind campaign. of that club seating, quote unquote, type. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Arrangements like so a, that they're facing each other. So in private jets and business jets and stuff, they do that so that like you can actually interact with your people in a more. Right. And stuff. be okay. in a more comfortable setting.
0: Yeah. So it looks like that.
1: Oh, got yeah. it. Okay. Almost like a limousine, but. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty, yeah exactly. pretty
0: similar. Pretty similar. Yeah. These are, good questions, they to are that. good questions. No, that is a good question. Yeah. Cool. The pilot turned on the electrical power and checked his fuel quantity, which was about 900 pounds per tank. He then referred to the little pocket booklet and calculated his reference speeds for the landing approaches.
1: Okay, not a bad thing.
0: He set the bug, which Mm -hmm. is the thing on the indicator to show airspeeds and stuff.
2: It's a little tick on the airspeed indicator that's like... This is the number you wanted to remember for some reason. Right. This okay. is a,
1: it's like a reference point you set for yourself. You can adjust yeah. it and it, you set it on that dial. So he set yourself. the
0: bug on his airspeed indicator to 93 knots. Mm-hmm. The passenger in the right seat did the same on his airspeed indicator just to be, you know, congruent even though he was not helping fly the aircraft right. at all. The passengers did say That they didn't know the pilot's intention for the flight until he requested and received clearance to remain in the traffic pattern for the practice landings. Okay. The pilot used his headset and microphone button for radio transmissions. So basically he's doing touch and goes yeah yeah is what he's doing okay. he's practicing taking off going into the pattern and landing taking off going in the pattern and landing that's right. what
1: he's doing sure and that's Which very is, common it is but it's not as common with a private jet i'm not going to say it I doesn't think he happen was
0: just trying to show off yeah, the airplane probably, to his yeah. friends i yeah, think that was the the intention
1: yeah fair enough and i mean i'm not gonna again i'm not gonna say it's impossible because i've certainly seen it i've seen it with globals right. which are massive <laughs> business jets i've seen them in the pattern before which is just crazy to me
0: the mudson i want to say the pilot but mudson then yep. started the engines checked the atis information and at 3:36 p.m. eastern standard time was cleared to taxi to runway 23 the flight was then cleared for takeoff on runway 23 at 3:41 and 36 seconds three touch and go landings were conducted on runway 23 before an approach was flown to runway 19 the initial takeoff was normal, and the aircraft was turned to enter the left traffic pattern for a touch-and-go landing on runway 23. Downwind airspeed was about 200 knots, indicated airspeed, for a short time, and then the aircraft was slowed below the gear down limit to 174 knots, okay. indicated airspeed. Now, that's not great, no. because that also means he was putting the airplane in a dangerous situation where it could have stalled. Yes. He didn't stall, right? but... We'll get into it in a second. He's not quite paying attention like he should be. Sure. The altitude on the downwind leg was about 2,500 feet, and power was reduced to a beam midfield on the downwind. The landing gear was lowered, and the approach flaps were extended. A normal touch-and-go landing was accomplished on runway 2-3. The flaps were raised to takeoff position, and the thrust was applied for a takeoff. So, same thing. Touchdown. They're doing this thing where they're going into different runways and taking off from different stuff just to, you know, mix it up and make it different. During the climb out, the landing gear and flaps were retracted and then the pilot pulled the right throttle back to demonstrate the single engine climb capacity. Mm -hmm. The right throttle was then returned to normal thrust position and a left traffic pattern was flown. One passenger said that the aircraft was, quote, as high as 3000 feet end quote, on the downwind. Okay. The other passenger was not positive about this, but believed the altitude was about 2,800 feet. So, they so were, they've
1: got something God. similar anyways.
0: Yeah. They're like, I would say that this is actually pretty low, although in a pattern, it is traffic not. pattern, I wouldn't know. Yeah, but A
1: traffic pattern is normally flown at 1,000 feet above airfield altitude at most airports, but that's usually by single engine piston aircraft. Right. In a jet, it makes a little bit more sense to fly it a little higher because you're going to be faster than the other traffic anyways should right. there be anybody else in the pattern
0: during the downwind leg of the second landing the pilot advanced the throttles and demonstrated how rapidly the aircraft would accelerate
1: okay
0: the passengers did not literally like he's showing off a sports car it's literally yeah, yeah. Exa- that's pretty much what i'm assuming he's doing right yeah, it he's sounds like, like, like look it. at this pretty aircraft and we'll get even more into this later cuz it, it it's it, this is just the beginning okay The passengers did not state what airspeed was reached during the acceleration, but they did recall the pilot then used the speed brakes to reduce the airspeed to below the maximum gear-lowering speed of 174 knots. So again, he pulled it back pretty far. Mm -hmm. The pilot then lowered the landing gear, extended the approach flaps, and retracted the speed brakes. A second normal touch-and-go landing was made, and the aircraft was flown for a third left traffic pattern on Runway 23. Okay. After turning to the crosswind leg for the third pattern, the pilot invited the right-seat passenger to take control of the yoke and acquaint himself with the control responsiveness. No! With a person who's never flown a jet before, which...
1: this No! So, okay, you're in a single-engine piston airplane? You can kind of understand that. You're not going to do much damage to an airplane like that. I mean, they could push the stick all the way forward. You might lose... 30, 40 feet.
2: I'm not saying that that happened. <laughs> I'm not saying that he was given controls of a Piper 140.
1: But this is a very different thing when you start talking about a jet. You push the nose forward and you could put that thing into a dive and lose a thousand feet in seconds. I mean, it's not good.
0: The I think the other thought process was this guy was also a pilot. Sure. And so would he do <clears throat> he would... a stupid maneuver like that? Probably not.
1: Right. He He's there for safety. He's going to keep the airplane from doing something it's not supposed to do. Right. Sure. sure.
0: So the passenger turned the aircraft left onto the downward leg. Mm -hmm. The pilot then invited the passenger to fly a zero-flap approach. Ooh, no. No. Let me
1: finish!
2: Let me finish! Not somebody (laughs) who doesn't know how to do that. Okay, so let's discuss why having zero flaps on landing is significant. So flaps extend out the back part of the wing of an aircraft, which means that the wing is now bigger, has more area, which means it increases the lift it can have from the air flowing over it. So you can fly... At lower speeds without falling out of the sky. Got it. Which is important when you're taking off and when you're landing. Because you're not going very fast. So when you're like, hey, let's do a landing with zero flaps.
1: It doesn't mean it's not possible. Aircraft are designed to be able to land without without flaps.
2: flaps. But I don't like it. But But you
1: have to do it at a very high rate of speed. Which is not easy. And somebody who wasn't very experienced with this particular aircraft and how it handles was in control of the air. Basically. (laughs) That's what it (laughs) sounds like. (laughs) <laughs> let's let's
0: continue, shall we? He mentioned that the aircraft would float considerably unless flaps were used during the landing. The passenger then flew the aircraft at 170 knots on the downwind leg. He said that the pattern was considerably wider than normal to dissipate some altitude, but he did not recall what altitude was flown. The final approach was flat and somewhat below the Vasi, which yeah. I'm assuming are the landing lights?
1: It's the approach lighting... They're system. like pappy lights. Yeah, they're yeah. like pappy lights. They help you find the glide slope.
0: Yeah, which they were using VFR anyway. So the passenger who was For flying. IFR. Yes, they were doing IFR. They weren't doing an instrument approach. They were doing.
1: They were VFR. They were visual flight rules. Yes. Not instrument flight rules. Yes. yes. I
0: meant to say VFR.
1: Yes. I understand. You know I, get, what I, mean. I get what you were getting at. <laughs> yeah. I knew where you were going. I they, smell what you're They stabbing. were doing a
0: visual approach. Okay. The passenger who was flying the aircraft said that the pilot did not recommend a final approach airspeed, which I find considerably concerning since this passenger has never flown this aircraft before. Yep. However, he recalled that the speed flown was, quote, considerably faster than the reference speed on the airspeed indicator, end quote, which you may need to be that if you're not using any flaps. Flaps, right. So, yeah,
1: right. no, it's only the safe thing.
0: The pilot was the one handling the throttles and made some adjustments during the approach. The passenger who was flying the aircraft had control of the yoke and the trim. So he wasn't completely flying the aircraft. Right. But he was in control of the yoke and the trim of the airplane. He was in control
1: of direction. He's
0: not in control of
2: speed.
1: Right.
0: The landing slash touchdown was long to about midpoint of the runway and preparation for takeoff was begun immediately the passenger who was flying the aircraft suddenly floated into the air about five to ten feet he was surprised till he realized the pilot had lowered the flaps to take off position causing the aircraft to balloon the pilot then applied takeoff thrust and took control of the aircraft
1: so they never really quite touched down no sounds like it, it they, they like floated. floated a
0: little bit mm-hmm. they, i think they did it like one of those little touches and it went boom.
1: <laughs> right so and that's probably all the pilot was intending
0: yeah to happen, for a it sounds like yeah yeah
1: It's probably the safer thing to do, to be honest.
0: During the fourth takeoff, the tower advised the flight to enter a right pattern. So at this point, they were doing all left patterns. Now they said to do a right pattern for runway 19 because of other traffic in the area. A right downwind leg was entered at 3,500 feet and 200 knots, which is higher and faster than they did before. Okay. While on the downwind, the pilot reduced the throttles to dissipate airspeed and altitude because they were pretty high and they were pretty fast. Sure. Both passengers recalled the throttles were reduced to a point where the landing gear warning horn was sounding. One passenger stated, quote, I know that when we're at about 3,500 feet, those throttles are pretty much all the way back, end quote. At about 3.59 and 33 seconds, the tower advised the flight to extend the downwind leg for about a mile because of traffic landing on runway 19 and departure traffic on runway 23. At 3.59 and 55 seconds, the controller advised the flight to begin its base turn anytime now. The aircraft turned immediately to the base leg. The passengers reported that they did not recall the pilot using the speed brakes and that he did not lower the landing gear or extend the flaps on the downwind. uh The passengers recalled the turn to the base leg was made with about 30 degrees of bank and with the nose slightly low. It was noticed that at about 1,000 feet of altitude was lost during the base leg. So they lost a bunch of altitude.
1: Right, that can happen
0: the turn to final was estimated to have been about 20 to 30 degrees of bank with the nose slightly low so their nose is slightly low
1: mm-hmm. and they're
0: turning quite a like the bank is pretty steep not a
1: big fan of all of this
2: well <laughs> there's a reason for uh, that. i know i
1: can i can picture all this in my mind and i can feel
2: i prefer landing with landing gear well yeah oh wait because i i'm getting into that
1: glad you like that because but for some reason he thought maybe not <laughs>
0: The passenger in the right seat stated that he noticed that the Vassi, as the turn to the final was begun, the aircraft was just about on the desired glide path-ish. Okay. He noticed that the landing gear had not been lowered. So he said, quote, I don't think you want to land this airplane with the gear still up, end quote. And the pilot then lowered the landing gear.
1: Okay. Okay, <laughs> thank right. you. Good, Thanks. Good job.
0: <laughs> what about flaps? Right. The aircraft had now drifted slightly left of the center line for runway 19, and it was settling below the glide path. After that happened, the aircraft was felt sinking, to which the pilot started to apply power. The aircraft was aligned with the runway center line, but was below the Vasi glide path and descending. The pilot was slowly inching the throttles forward due to the angle of attack indicator was in the caution range yellow, which is not good.
1: No, no. Not when you're on approach.
0: The sink rate was increasing as power was being applied gradually. The passenger in the right seat said he could feel the sink rate increase. He looked at the pilot's face and he knew something was wrong. Quote, I sensed the airplane sinking and I could sense through the expression on Thurman's face that the aircraft was out of control. That's what and happens quote, when
1: you don't have mm. flaps. Uh, the, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, know
0: I know that. <laughs> Clearly. This guy didn't know that. Apparently. The passenger said they never felt a sensation of acceleration from the power application by the pilot during the last portion of the approach.
1: So he didn't add much?
0: No. You know what you could have done at this point? A go-around? Yeah, you would think so, right? Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Seems like a smart thing to do.
0: The passenger in the right seat said they could feel the slight buffet just before impact. Yep. The passenger in the back did not feel a buffet, but he saw the left wing dip and saw the pilot push the throttles full forward before impact.
2: Maybe you should have done that a
0: while
1: ago. Yeah. Too late. Especially in a jet.
0: (laughs) When the aircraft touched the ground, the passengers said they felt a series of bumps, and then they came to a sudden halt. The passenger in the cabin said he thought they hit, quote, a ditch or hill or something. That could be. The aircraft touched down at about 870 feet short of the runway on a slightly rising terrain at an elevation of about 1,160 feet. So they did. Yeah. (laughs) Hit
1: a ditch, basically. The
0: aircraft rolled across rough terrain and struck a 2.5 foot deep ditch where the nose gear separated Mm -hmm. from the aircraft. It continued sliding until it passed through a clump of small trees and struck a large stump the aircraft then spun around and came to rest on a road about 270 feet from the initial touchdown point and about 600 feet from the runway threshold a fire erupted immediately after the aircraft came to rest because they still had engines that had uh, fuel Fuel. turns out the pilot of the flight thurman munson perished in the accident whereas the two passengers survived the incident i kind of garnered
2: that from your narration yes
1: yes And it sounded like, actually, they probably survived without too much injury, because they didn't seem to think it was quite that bad, even though it was obviously pretty serious from the sound of it.
0: It didn't go into too much about their injuries, but, I mean, they survived. Yeah. There's that. They said this later in the report, and I didn't really put it in here, but Thurman died of basically... Blunt force trauma. Yeah, um, he hit his head. Which
1: that is an unfortunate reality. There's in like most of a whole general aviation. thing
0: in here about him not having his shoulder harness on. Yep, when he should have. Yep, and that probably would have caused him to actually save his life. Yep, we'll get into that when I get into like the findings and stuff.
1: My dad installed shoulder harnesses on his airplane shortly after he got it because. They are just very safe thing to have. They save your life because number one cause of death in what should be survivable incidents in general aviation is hitting your head on the dash.
2: Yeah, and that's what he did. Because it's a sharp dash; it juts out.
1: Yeah, mm. and it's
2: not a flat panel. And
1: it's yeah. at eye level, basically. So you're gonna—I mean, you're gonna hit your head hard, hard on that thing. Yeah,
2: and when they
0: hit the stump, it why did was... the plane that he bought didn't already have that installed? Oh, it did. Oh, well, my did. dad's didn't.
1: It was very—it's oh. a very old that's airplane. That's what I mean. Yeah, oh. my dad's airplane was a very old airplane. And when he bought it, it was in really good shape and everything. But they weren't mandated in most airplanes. They still aren't mandated in most general aviation aircraft but most pilots know that it's the smart thing to do so my (laughs) dad my dad installed them shortly thereafter because it's just the right thing
2: he's also a mechanic so he can just do Do that that. yeah
1: so i I I find that like that he had to install it like that's crazy that's not it's kind of like how cars used to not have seatbelts. yeah which is hard to think about but it's true
0: (laughs) i mean because for a while they were like ah maybe we should put a safety apparatus in here so people don't fly through the windshield
1: In the era that you think it would be mandated for You would think. Because they go think. way faster. <laughs> you would think. And this is still a hot topic in general aviation, but most people put them in their airplanes if they can. Because it's the right thing to do. It is. New airplanes, yeah, of course, most of them are built with
0: shoulder got harnesses. Harness, shoulder harnesses. Yeah. So this investigation was done by the NTSB. NTSB. Wow. What do you know? Amazing. They didn't have much to go on, however, because this aircraft was not equipped with, nor, nor was, was it
2: required, required to be, be equipped with,
0: <laughs> a CVR or an FDR. Yep. However, they had two living people, so that's more go. than I got later.
1: <laughs> so no black boxes, but we have people. People.
0: After being interviewed about the flight, neither passenger said they saw the pilot use a checklist during the flight, like at sir, all, like whatsoever, which is not great, by the way. Instead, the pilot mentioned that you need to stay on top of it, and they needed to pay attention. Great. That that doesn't help you fly the airplane. Right. <laughs> the checklists are for the pilot, not for the passengers. Neither passenger recalled the pilot saying that he was going to make a zero-flap landing for the last landing. The passenger in the right seat said he assumed the pilot was conducting a zero-flap approach because he didn't follow the same sequence as before. Right. Because he didn't. I think he just forgot about the flaps altogether because he was freaking out. Yep which has happened and it will mm-hmm. not be the first or the
1: last time that it's happened. Yep, that's the truth.
0: Neither passenger saw the pilot attempt to lower the flaps during the last approach. After talking with the passengers and getting some data from ATC, it was found that the main issue with this accident was the pilot did not follow standard traffic pattern airspeeds or altitudes. So, he was not flying at the correct altitudes or airspeeds for the pattern that he was in at all. Great. Which, that's dangerous with other people being in the pattern and things like that. It's also a problem that after talking with the passengers that the pilot did not use a checklist in flight and did not use flaps on the descent, as well as needing to be reminded to extend the landing gear. Right. None of that was good. He did not add sufficient power to catch up with the descent rate of the airplane, and therefore, the airplane crashed. Yep. So we go into findings. What do you know? Very short Mm. analysis,
1: but... Yeah, but it was pretty straightforward. Yeah, it was. Planes don't fly at slow I don't, don't have a ridiculous
0: no amount of findings, and they're all relatively short. Uh-huh. Hey, you have findings. Mm-hmm. So guess what? He was certified to fly this aircraft.
1: Yes. He did, did. I only bring... like it. Well, yeah. well not at <laughs> only... the end there. I
0: only bring it up because it was like, um... <laughs>
1: Well, he didn't have a lot of hours in the airplane to begin with. He didn't have a lot of hours, period. But I mean, that doesn't, to be honest, that's not entirely abnormal. It's general
0: aviation. It's
1: general aviation. And with a citation, that's still not entirely abnormal. You just don't get as many hours doing that than you would flying, you know, every day, eight hours a day for an airline. So I understand that. And to be honest, just that last part was kind of the concerning thing. But through his whole first touch and go and everything, he was actually doing a pretty good job i mean he seemed yeah. like a decent aviator he understood the airplane well even doing asymmetric thrust and everything like he seemed to handle it well he seemed
2: so he, capable he
1: was capable and he was definitely certified in the airplane because he understood all these things about it but then he just for some reason became complacent Forgot. <laughs> which kind of happens and this is a discussion in general aviation too where you have to remember not to become complacent when you have people with you yeah like I understand that you want to show them the airplane and it's cool and everything. And there is a way to do that and enjoy it and be safe about it. But you you really still almost have to be more vigilant when you're flying with these people. You can't be show-offish.
0: Yeah, it doesn't
1: work, turns out. Mm-mm. I mean, I know when I drive cars like, and I have passengers, like, <laughs> you just do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're just, you're just more conscious of it.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, because you don't want... A mistake you make to hurt someone else. Right. Yeah.
1: I think it sounds like he was just like, he wanted to show off, but then like, he just... Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Pretty much.
0: So, the next couple are like, there was nothing wrong with the plane. No. Nope. There was not. No, there wasn't. The pilot did not comply with recommended standard traffic pattern altitudes or airspeeds, which is like a huge problem. Right. Like, you should do that, whether you're in a citation or not.
1: That should have been a red flag, though.
0: The pilot had to be reminded to lower the landing gear during the last landing attempt.
1: That was a big red flag.
0: The pilot forgot to extend the landing flaps during the last landing attempt. What do you know? The pilot did not use a checklist during the flight. The aircraft was That's flown bad. about 24 knots below the desired no-flap reference speed during the last final approach. I don't think he meant to do that. I think no. he meant to have flaps and I think just so. forgot.
1: Right. I'm guessing you're right. And the whole not using the checklist thing to me is a massive red flag.
0: I mean, all of this is like a giant red flag, right? Like, right. I feel like he went up and the whole point was to show off his airplane to his buddies yep. and in all reality, he wasn't paying attention. Right. The pilot did not add sufficient power to arrest the descent rate.
1: Nope. Not early enough, anyways.
0: No. Although the pilot, the right seat passenger, was not qualified to assist the pilot. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, he, yeah. he was pilot, but he couldn't assist with anything because he had never flown. Right.
1: He wasn't certified flight. in this airplane. He's not a fly.
0: Neither pilot nor the right seat passenger was wearing available shoulder harnesses, so they had them available. They just weren't wearing them. Right. Longitudinal and vertical crash loads were estimated to be eight and 3.5 Gs, respectively.
1: Okay, which that's, is that's not a lot. Comfortable? No, that's a lot. And to be honest, most people don't know what that feels like, and I hope you never do. To it's, be honest, it doesn't. Because then something feel... has probably gone very wrong. Yeah. Which is why- Um, Unless you're a blue angel. The
0: passenger in the right seat was like, this isn't right.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's pretty, it's, yeah, it's pretty rough. And the only people who probably have experienced that, if you have, you've been in a relatively high-speed car accident. Even in a car accident, you'll experience sometimes between four and five Gs. Yeah. But it's, it's very instantaneous, so it's jerk rather than- Yes, I used I used the term. I'm so proud of you. So it's jerk rather than sustained. And so that's kind of one of the things you have to take into account when you talk about that with aircraft accidents too cuz yeah. it's generally most of the time it's jerk. Not not sustained. Sustained. So that's pretty high, but definitely survivable. Most accidents we talk about with airliners, they go they peak at like 22Gs, but again, that's jerk. Yeah. And even that can be survivable, but very, well, very rarely. We just
2: talked about one of those a few weeks ago. Yes, we did. G's is acceleration, but right. change in G's right. is jerk. Right.
1: But that's to peak to 22, so uh-huh. it happens very instantaneously and comes right back down.
2: That's jerk. That That's uncomfortable.
1: It's very uncomfortable. That's how but people get hurt. That's right. how
2: galley
0: carts end up in ceilings. Right. Fun fact, we have pictures of that on the website if you go back a few yes.
1: weeks. And we are also very aware of the Hawaiian incident. Yes, we know. That just happened.
2: Dude, yeah, I and saw TikToks about it. Ugh, it's ugly. There were like faces busted open. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, wow. it was bad. The ceiling panels were all screwed up. Uh, looked very similar to a galley cart in the ceiling. Yep. There wasn't an, a. This galley is why cart you don't field. stand
0: up during flight. I mean. Also, I realize I, sometimes you
2: have to, but this is why belts. you don't do that. Buckle your Don't belts. quote me on this, but I do believe the majority of the injuries on the Hawaiian flight were unseat belted individuals of course it was which is why you're supposed to have your seat belts on while you're seated yep. even if you're in cruise flight yep and they did publish this the seatbelt sign was on yep so so it's your own damn fault pretty much anyway we went tangent so yes.
1: yeah so that's the whole thing about those g's it's sustained g's that are the ones that make you pass out they're very difficult to handle yes but Instantaneous it's jerk delays, that hurts right jerk hurts Sustain Gs makes you pass makes out. Makes you pass out.
0: <laughs> Neither of those is a good situation. And, no.
1: and or vomit. Right. Oh. Both.
0: Oh. Okay. Yeah. The powerless restraint system was rendered ineffective by the localized damage to the seat track oh. and Ooh. supporting floor structure. So oh. they had talked about this a little bit, but the structure that was holding his seat to the floor um, wasn't great. No uh, kidding. And when they crashed his seat came off the track. That's not good. And when he pushed forward and hit the stump, the whole seat went with
2: him. So not only did he hit his head...
1: His seat came out. That's a design flaw. Yeah! And that was probably the fatal thing. I mean, yeah. I mean, without the seat harness... He also
2: didn't wear his harness. Right.
1: Without the harness, that's for sure... The initial impact. Pretty much. But it doesn't
2: matter if you're wearing a harness or not. If the thing that you are harnessed to is also... Came came out!
1: Yeah. Not good. Yeah.
0: Oh, okay. So... Alright, we'll get we'll get to that in a second. A severe post-crash fire erupted with fuel and was spilled during the crash sequence, of course, because that happens when you have tanks with turn out and you crash, like that happens. Yep. The pilot sustained severe traumatic injuries from the contact with the control column and the instrument panel. hmm The pilot died, however, from the effects of the fire. So uh-huh. he must injuries. have had burn injuries or smoke inhalation. Or both. Which it probably was issues with him getting out of his seat or getting out of the door. He may have been yep. unconscious from right. And may that have was probably what right. happened is he that hit does. his head on the control column. He passed out from the impact and then couldn't get out and yeah. didn't survive. Yeah a fire right the two passengers sustained no serious impact injuries but were burned pretty severely during the evacuation so when they got out they were burned which i was pretty sure was what happened anyway because there's a fire and when there's a fire and the engines are relatively close to the fuselage mm-hmm. like they are here you're gonna probably get some burns yeah it's, there's no way to but it's thing. burn or die right like it happens right yeah The main cabin door was jammed, so his door, if he was even conscious, Mm -hmm. he wouldn't have been able to get out anyway because it was jammed. Yeah. The two passengers were not familiar with the operation of the main door and the emergency exit and had not been briefed by the pilot before takeoff. So... They had a a hard time getting the main door and the exit door open because they didn't know how it worked. And when you're in a panic situation and you're trying to get out, Mm -hmm. not a good time to try to figure out how an exit door
1: opens. No, it's not.
0: Especially if one of them is jammed, but also like... If you think about it, that's why you should go through all that safety information stuff before you take off. Most
1: definitely. Like
0: how, like we say multiple times, we always read the information for the exit doors, whether we're sitting in an exit row or not. Yep.
2: Just assume that the individual that's at the exit is incompetent. Because then if they can't do it, you can do it. Right. And
0: get the door open and you can get out. Right. With and Because when you're panicked and you're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Like if you've ever like been under... Pressure and try to answer a question before
2: you know the answer,
0: but you can't answer it because mm-hmm. you're under pressure. Same deal, yep. Right? Yep. You don't want that to happen when you're in an emergency situation, most right?
1: definitely not.
0: So, look at your safety information card, okay? And wear your seatbelt, and yeah, please, and wear God, seatbelt. wear your seatbelt, okay? Probable cause. The National Transportation Safety Board determines that the probable cause of the accident was the pilot's failure to recognize the need for and to take action to maintain sufficient airspeed to prevent a stall into the ground during an attempted landing. The pilot also failed to recognize the need for a timely sufficient power application to prevent the stall during an approach conducted inadvertently without flaps extended. Contributing to the pilot's inability to recognize the problem and to take proper action was his failure to use the appropriate checklist and his non-standard pattern procedures, which resulted in an abnormal approach profile. And literally, I kid you not, during recommendation section, it said none. So (laughs)
1: Um, that's it for me. To me, at the very least, the number one thing they should have fixed was the seat.
0: Yeah, I'm sure they did.
1: uh... I'm sure Citation, well, Cessna probably did something about that.
0: I'm hoping, but that was like the big thing that happened.
1: Yeah, everything else is pilot error, and that's—it's not to say unfixable, but that is a difficult thing to fix, depending on the circumstance. And in this circumstance, there's nothing you can really do. He didn't follow procedures. He was just being complacent. So, yeah, I can kind of understand why they didn't have any recommendations. I still think the whole seat thing should have been a recommendation, but okay! Yeah.
2: You're a recommendation. All right, (laughs) so—so
1: that was part one.
0: So, we're going to take— break yeah and we'll come back and Christy will tell her story and Nick will tell his yep Mm -hmm.
2: this episode is brought to you by visit Williamsburg in Williamsburg Virginia there's never too much of a good thing whether you're a foodie a golfer a history buff a shopaholic an outdoor enthusiast or a thrill seeker
0: you'll find what you came for here and more
2: so ask yourself what is it you want Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Okay. Okay, we're back. We're back. We're it, back. It's my turn. So today I am going to talk about the crash of Corey Lytle, who pitched right-handed for the New York Mets, the Tampa Bay Devil, Rays, the Oakland Athletics, the Toronto Blue Jays, the Cincinnati Reds, the Philadelphia Phillies, and ultimately the New York Yankees. Good God. He must have not been that good <laughs> traded that much. <laughs> Stats. I don't know the significance of any of this. He had 838 strikeouts, an earned run average of 4.57, and a win-loss record of 8272. Okay. His career lasted from 1997 to his death in 2006. So way more recent than Yes. Nine. His death at 34 years old oh, in 2006. That's unfortunate. This accident occurred on October 11th, 2006 in the bustling city of Manhattan, New York. Lytle, I say this again. Lytle was 34 at the time and held a private pilot certificate and was rated for single engine aircraft as of February of the same year. And he purchased the accident aircraft, a Cirrus SR 20, registered as November 9 er Charlie Delta in June. So this is all in the same year, basically. Yeah, yeah. What is an
1: accident aircraft?
2: The, the, the aircraft, that, the was aircraft that was involved oh, in the accident. Sorry. Oh, okay. yes. <laughs>
1: no, it's okay.
2: He had accumulated a total of 87.8 hours of flight time all in the preceding year, including 12 and a half hours in Cirrus aircraft, 3.9 of which were as pilot-in-command. So, not at all experienced. According to his logbook, he had received three instructional flights in the SR-22, not the SR-20, which he had purchased. Those are two different models. Right, they are. Those instructional flights were in mid-July, and then he flew his aircraft for the first time with a flight instructor a week later. Most of the pilot's flight hours were in California, not New York. This is significant. Great. Uh-oh. Because there's not a bunch of skyscrapers in California? Well, I mean, there are, but they're not as, com- like, Manhattan? No. <laughs> it's not Manhattan. No. <laughs> he was described by previous instructors as quick to adapt, conscientious, and checklist-oriented.
1: Which is a good Unlike thing. Unlike our
2: previous pilot.
1: Yes, this is a good thing.
2: The other person in the aircraft has been described both as a pilot-rated passenger as well as a co-pilot.
1: Okay, so he has experience.
2: So instructions unclear exactly what his role was, but he was sitting in the right seat.
1: Sounds like he has some kind of experience.
2: He was a friend. He was twenty six year old Tyler Stanger, who held ratings for single engine, multi engine, and instrument. Oh
1: yeah. Okay. He
2: also held a flight instructor certificate for single engine and instrument. Yeah, so he
1: was relatively experienced enough. He did not
2: have an instructor rating for Cirrus.
1: But he has a single engine. Yes. So he does
2: Cirrus aircraft. Yes.
1: So he does, but he has to have his high performance rating as well, which if he has a twin, he does.
0: So I realize some of you know what a Sirius looks like, but it looks kind of like a teardrop. It looks a little dumb.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Kind of. They're actually pretty interesting little airplanes, though. I could go on for many hours. i get to them
2: in a second. Let me get there. So Sirius is kind of specific about their trainers and like to specifically have them trained in how to train others on a Cirrus, which is why you have Cirrus training institutes. Nick used to work at one.
1: Yep. And rightfully so, because to be honest, as a single engine piston airplane, most other airplanes that fit in the class of this airplane, for its simplicity, it is like flying. Super complicated. We'll, and we'll get into A that. hot rod. I mean, yeah. it is Point is, insane.
2: this flight instructor, friend, co-pilot, person? Person? Person?
1: Mm-hmm
2: does not fly Cirrus aircraft
1: wasn't familiar with Cirrus which is an important thing
2: however he owned and operated a fixed base operation or FBO in California that provided flight training aircraft rental and sightseeing flights as well as maintenance of all their aircrafts apparently I need to kick it up a notch because as a fellow 26 year old damn
1: yeah that is a lot fellow 26 year old nothing like owning your own FBO doing your own maintenance and running your own flight school holy crap where
0: did I go wrong I know we went to college (laughs) also usually we went wrong
1: also usually that means having money and then getting a lot of money
2: yeah Yeah, we don't because those
1: things that that is a that's a tough industry
2: yeah so uh anyway according to friends and family the pair and their families were touring new york city it's a fun trip i highly recommend it there's lots to do i want to go back the previous evening they went out for dinner and a musical also highly recommend phantom of the operas leaving Broadway. broadway in case you didn't hear that terrible news Before returning to their hotel rooms. The day of the accident, the families flew commercially back to California, Mm -hmm. while the pilot-slash-owner of the aircraft and the pilot-rated passenger planned to fly the accident aircraft from New Jersey to California over the next few days. Sure. As I had mentioned, the accident aircraft was a Cirrus SR-20, a single-engine, single-pilot, low-wing airplane with four seats and a dual-side yoke control. We have not explicitly covered a Cirrus aircraft before, though we have mentioned them in passing, but Cirrus aircraft are expensive. They are expensive. High-powered.
1: For their class, they are really overpowered and very expensive.
2: And they have a really unique feature, the Cirrus Airplane Parachute System, or CAPS. It has a chute! Yes, you heard me. These aircraft have a built-in parachute designed to recover from catastrophic emergencies when normal emergency procedures are ineffective. Should the CAP system deploy and save your life, Cirrus will
1: replace your aircraft. Yep, usually, I mean, that's aided by insurance. And no, I couldn't find anything to back that up, but I can tell you from experience, from knowing some people that have actually pulled the The parachute and survived, that usually between, I mean, of course, they'll take whatever insurance will give them, but as part of that guarantee, should it be something wrong with the airplane? Not pilot error, obviously. It should be something wrong with the airplane, and they can prove basically that it's, it's because of the airplane itself, and you pulled the chute. Cirrus will help you replace your airplane because, I mean, it's proof that it worked.
2: Well, and pulling the caps basically totals your airplane.
1: Right. It does. It, well, it absolutely totals the airplane because it strips the airframe.
2: Yep. <laughs> where do you think
0: the chute comes from? Any guesses? Looking at it? I, I want to see like the, the, it looks the, like the, 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 there, right there. That... Where the C, with the, the, the Cirrus thing is? No. Right there? That
1: is the baggage compartment, but that is how you access it to replace it. I can tell you right where it is and I can tell you how it works. Only because I've seen all of this and I know exactly <laughs> well,
0: how it works. Well, you at a flight school, so yep.
1: I hope so. So it turns out, so right above the N in November, okay, that's where it's stored in your tail number, right above the N in this picture. That's where it would be. There's a window just above that. So it's in there. It's in the airframe. It's fully sealed. Yeah. And that's how you have to access it from the baggage compartment to replace it, which you have to do every so often. It's very expensive.
2: They had an expert on the CAP system as part of the investigation, and I believe his title, don't quote me on this, included the phrase ballistic.
1: It is. Because actually, that's why people are so afraid to replace them, and you have to go to special training to actually replace them. It's like
2: replacing an airbag, right?
1: It's worse than that. It's like replacing an ejector seat, because it uses rockets.
0: Oh, nice.
1: (laughs) Because it has to rip itself from the airframe entirely, which there's a thinner part of the surface there, but it looks... Just completely smooth over where it is. And on the outside, there's little stickers around the area where it would come out, where it would deploy. And when it deploys, yeah, it rockets through the airframe and then it strips it all the way. The reason that that baggage compartment has an angled door, you see there's a little angle in it, because it rips down that angle across underneath the door, but above the wing, all the way to just before the engine cowling. Oh, So it grabs it there. It rips the whole, because it's all made of carbon composite. Well, yeah. So it rips the carbon composite all the way down to there. That's where the strap is tucked into the airplane. Damn. Into the airframe.
0: Uh, And then
1: the rest of it rips back to almost the tail. Damn. But it yeah. has to hold the airplane, right? I,
0: I Well, yes, but I understand how it would total your airplane.
1: Yep. <laughs> so,
2: so I'm going to go on my intentional tangent. If you are interested in learning about a very successful CAPS deployment, mm-hmm. I suggest looking up the mid-air collision at our local Centennial Airport in May of 2021.
1: Which we have discussed a little bit yeah, in previous the episodes.
2: Yeah, the Metroliner.
1: Because I, I
2: didn't know it A serious it is. Vast Aviation on YouTube has... An excellent video that covers exactly how that incident occurred. You can also look up images of the Cirrus in this accident and see exactly where the cap system is connected.
1: Some of the luckiest people on earth, and this is one of the most incredible things I've ever seen in my life.
2: But on the red plane, you can see exactly how the CAPS goes all the way to the front. Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh Yep. They it's,
2: deployed the caps.
1: And it worked. And it saved their lives. They were uninjured. They literally stepped out of the airplane into Which, the dark.
0: If you saw the Metro Liner, you'd be like, how did that plane survive?
1: Seriously. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the whole it's thing. It's still like that, by the way. It's still it sitting is. at Centennial Airport. It half- is. Half of it's gone.
2: It's yeah, covered in a tarp. It
1: <laughs> is.
0: But you can tell the spot where it's there's definitely not airplane anymore. Yeah.
1: The whole thing is crazy and I mean I because I'm connected to the whole thing in so many different ways like this is all it this is my life. parked
2: in front of his office. Well, that
1: parked in front of my office and then the red airplane I used to take care of. I know the guy who owns it. So I sat in it. Yeah. So that I mean this whole that's thing it's like weird. this is oh, all that's small crazy. world.
2: Oh, yeah. it When we figured out which plane it was, I was like, I definitely sat in that aircraft. Yeah.
1: So, and I know. It was weird. I know, like, this is all, like, so small worldy to me because I know it, but this was like, this made major headlines in the aviation industry because. And all over. And all over. Yeah. Because this was just one of the craziest miracles that ever there was in aviation. (laughs) I
0: remember when it happened, we were like what the and like and the looking fact that, at the Metroliner, you're like how
1: the fact that there was two airplanes involved they both were completely totaled i was but uh, three pilots
2: walked away walked
1: away nobody was injured and
2: then and, the Metroliner was able to land yeah <laughs> and i was i was watching a live stream of coverage and it was one of those live streams you could comment and someone's like i heard this that it had a parachute that's impossible I'm like the cirrus sr 22 is equipped with a Parachute. yes and then, all- and then and then the it- reporter <laughs> was like is that true and he looked it up and he's like christy is correct i'm like yes thank you yes <laughs> well, i know
1: well, I, I know by aviation
2: thank yep. you anyway back to the accident at hand yes
1: sorry these are all touchy subjects <laughs> since i know so much about them
2: the aircraft took off from Teterboro airport at about busy
1: Busy airport.
2: It's one of it's one of the busiest airports in that area. This is the second busiest slash messed up airspace in the country. Oh yeah. This aircraft took off from Teterboro Airport at about two twenty nine local time and was cleared for a VFR departure, which means visual flight
0: rules flight plan,
2: and we're instructed to stay out of the New York Class Bravo airspace, which the pilot acknowledged. I don't know if you know anything about the airspace over New York. <laughs>
1: it's <laughs> up. If you're gonna fly there. You better study.
2: <laughs> so, staying out of the Bravo is no small task. To define this, the Bravo airspace is loosely defined as the area surrounding the busier commercial airports, and it extends from surface to generally 10,000 feet above ground level. It's shaped like an inverted layer cake, so the closer to the ground, the smaller the radius of the Bravo. As you climb, you hit certain altitudes, the radius increases. So, it, like a layer cake that you just turned upside down. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay.
1: And it. this is... Bravo airspace is the most restrictive public airspace Yes, there is.
0: Because commercial planes
2: fly right. in and out of the These Bravo. are
1: generally over the busiest airports in the country and in the world. They're,
2: Not every commercial airport has a Bravo space. No, they no, don't. It's and just the busy ones.
1: The really busy ones. Denver and so, does. Right. We have a Bravo, and we have one of the strictest Bravos there is, actually, because there's so much traffic coming from so many different directions into Denver, Versus a lot of other airports, they're very confined. Like, they have very strict routing. Yeah. Denver has so many routes in and out that the Bravo is a big giant circle. And they're very, very strict with the Bravo.
2: So the issue for New York is that there are not one, not two, but three major commercial airports in the area. Mm -hmm. Teterboro is one of them.
1: Teterboro is not one of them. Teterboro is the busy general aviation airport underneath them.
2: (laughs) JFK.
0: Yeah. I was going to say Fort
1: Lauderdale. No, that has nothing to do with
0: it. (laughs) Uh, Starts with an L. LaGuardia. 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 And? Oh, I know. The disgusting one. Oh,
2: Newark.
1: Newark. (laughs) Cuke. And Teterboro is also in there completing the four corners of the weird.
2: So all of them have Bravo airspaces that mishmash together in a really f***ed up disgusting manner excuse my french but the faa also had to consider that there are general aviation operations occurring in the rivers you might know that uh people like to take helicopters to go look at manhattan and the surrounding areas
1: sightseeing galore there's also
2: seaplanes everywhere yep Yep, because those are rivers so there is an exception zone that the pilots were restricted to to get visuals of this please go to our website where there are both pictures of the sectional as well as screenshots from Nick's Four Flight app that's a bit cleaner and easier to read than the sectional, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. So, Newark, LaGuardia, JFK, do not fly here or here, and this is fed up.
1: Yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> Teeterboro's at the very top of that. Yeah. K T E B. That's Teeterboro.
2: Okay. We all lost now? Good. Solid. After takeoff, the accident airplane turned to the southeast and climbed. Their continued flight for this next bit stayed between six to eight hundred feet. They reached the western shore of the Hudson River and turned south following the river, then descended to five hundred feet. Air traffic control alerted the crew that they were to squawk VFR, which they acknowledged and were never heard from again. Oh, no. They continued south until reaching the southern tip of Manhattan, which, fun fact, exists between the Hudson and East Rivers. So, here. Yes.
1: Okay. That's the southern tip of Manhattan.
2: So they were a beam of it. They weren't flying over it. They were... Next to. Parallel. Yeah. yeah. Parallel is a loose term. They turned southwest and at 236 flew over a certain island. Right there. That has a very famous monument on it. It's green. Ellis Island?
1: Mm. Clo- better. Close, but bigger than that.
2: Isn't it Ellis Island?
1: No, Ellis Island is a different island. Oh. It's right next to it.
2: Is it the... Liberty Island?
1: Mm-hmm. Statue of Liberty.
2: They went and flew around the Statue of Liberty, as you do. As I mean, you do. when you're in New York. And you're flying. <laughs> Why not? Normal people like us folk take a ferry, not the flying kind. Of or right. a,
0: a <laughs> booze cruise that had no booze. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> everyone on it was underage. Let's throw and a bunch
1: everyone... of high schoolers on here if you pretend like they're having booze. <laughs>
2: And half of us have Because they're
1: all sleep deprived.
2: <laughs> we don't have stories. Anyway, so they flew around the Statue of Liberty, as you do, and then they turned and flew up the East River. So they flew down the Hudson, did a circle around the Statue of Liberty, then flew up the East River. Okay. You might notice that uh, that general airspace looks a little funky. A little bit. All the rest of this flight was flown between five and 700 feet until impact. Now, looking at the Bravo airspace, the section they've been flying below the Bravo extends from the ground to 1,500 feet. As you fly up the East River, you reach a tiny section of the exclusion zone over Roosevelt Island, where the Bravo drops down to 1,101 feet.
1: Yep. Of all things.
2: <laughs> oh, okay. And after Roosevelt Island, the exclusion zone ends. The Bravo goes down to the ground. Just before that, in a mile north of the Queensboro Bridge, radar footage reflected that the aircraft made a left turn to reverse course back down the river, but radar contact was lost at 242. The aircraft had impacted the apartment building of 524 East 72nd Street, 330 feet above street level and between the 32nd and 33rd floors on the north face of the building.
1: So they were very low. They were also...
2: Quite low, I would say. The engine, the propeller, the right part of the engine mount, and the nose gear strut were all found in an apartment on the 32nd floor. Question. Yeah? So they're supposed to be making their way to California, right? So... it Seems like they're just like... Goofing off,
1: dilly in I mean, a little. They've, they've sightsee New York a little bit before you leave.
2: They've been off the ground like thirteen minutes. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like
1: they went to sightsee a little. Like,
2: that's fine. You should like, have I'm a flight saying, plan. Should, yeah, like, that's
0: I a good feel point. Like you should have an, like an ideal way of like where you're gonna if you're gonna do the scenic thing,
2: which we've talked about before. <laughs> Don't do the scenic thing in Loveland Pass. But if you're, or don't do the scenic thing at all. But well, if you're gonna do it, like you should have a plan.
1: If you're VFR flying, scenic flying, I mean that's just kind of what you do. I mean that is. But what like, it is. have so a plan to VFR. like get
2: out and yeah. like be able to fly. It's, no, it's really... interesting that you bring up that particular incident. We'll talk about it later. Oh, good.
1: Because yeah, when, when I got shouldn't...
2: really f- mad at yeah, you have 166 episodes to reference, and you pick that one. Very interesting. 10 out of 10. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> So, as I said, the engine propeller, right part of the engine mount, and the nose gear strut were all found in an apartment. It is worth noting, no one in the apartment died. Was anyone home? There were a total of 26 injuries, some of which were firefighters. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine? Because they were up there still. you they were trying up there. to freaking relax in your apartment. and you see In New York air- City post 9-11.
0: And you're right. going to look at this airplane and you're like, that airplane's getting really close. I wonder, huh?
2: That's weird. And then it hit. And then you're like, "Oh, ah, it's getting closer. I don't like that. The engine was found inverted. Uh, okay. With the propeller separated, indicating that the engine was working. Yeah, that the propeller was working? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The engine and propeller were both burned and coated in ash debris and fire extinguishing stuff. Fire! There fire. was a fire! Most of the wreckage actually was on the street. Well, it, it probably hit below. it and then it fell. Right, would be my guess. Well, and the
1: crazy thing about all this to me is, you look at this picture, and in reality, I mean, yeah, you can see where the airplane. It hit. It could be worse. You see where the airplane hit, but the building looks, for the most part, okay. relatively undamaged. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, okay, yeah. You're like wow, okay, really a plane for being been.
0: hit by an airplane?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: I just would also hate being the person that like parked their car there. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. The plane hit the apartment owned by, this is on Wikipedia, owned by Dr. Parviz Ben-Huri and his wife, Ilana, the latter of whom was seated in the room when the plane crashed and sustained shrapnel injuries and burns. Her housekeeper was also present and helped her escape. What was Whoa. the address? Five twenty-four seventy-second. 524 72nd? Yeah. East 72nd Street. Also worth noting on the Wikipedia page, I don't know why I didn't include this in my notes, the aircraft's ballistic recovery system's emergency parachute designed to bring the small plane down safely from altitudes above 500 feet was not deployed.
1: It's a really important thing you bring this up, actually.
2: Because uh, it's rockets? And it's explosive. It's
1: rockets, but I'm glad you brought this up because the Cirrus has a very, well, mm, finite area and limitations within which you can use the CAPS parachute system
2: they did not deploy the caps just to make that abundantly clear right uh, but i'm
1: glad you brought that up because it's going to be relevant to me later
2: the f yep you're not covering a cirrus nope <laughs> nope okay <laughs> that's good anyway so the rest of the wreckage was either on the street for the most part or on the surrounding rooftops balconies etc imagine just walking out on your balcony wanting to go grill something and there's like oh that's a if you can even keep a grill up like that. I you know, I'm just sweetie.
0: bringing something to well, Maybe you just want to yeah. go outside and have a smoke and you're like oh look there's a part of an aircraft out
2: here. Look at that. Yeah. There was no sign of in-flight fire or pre-existing damage. That's good. The following day, the FAA imposed a temporary flight restriction, or TFR, on the area within one mile of the scene from surface to 1,500 feet. But that was lifted the next day, when the FAA banned all fixed-wing aircraft from the East River Corridor unless they were in contact with air traffic control. All small aircraft, except for the helicopters and seaplanes that operated in that area, had to seek approval of and stay in contact with air traffic control. The FAA cited concerns of the unpredictable winds between the buildings.
1: Fair enough. This is relevant in a little bit.
2: Because skyscrapers block... Wind and, and can create cause they wind please. Create tunnels. the
1: canyon effect. Yeah. Yep. Canyon effect winds are very dangerous.
2: Fluid dynamics. Yep. You decrease the area which the wind can flow and it increases the speed of the wind.
1: This is also how Chicago. turbines work. This also is how this Why is,
2: Chicago's called the windy city. Uh uh-huh.
1: That's why. But plus, this is also plus
2: uh, Lake Michigan.
1: Yes. But this is how turbine or compressors work plus on aircraft combustion. engines. Right, plus combustion. But they just add to the same pressure. Mm-hmm. They just
2: So now, now we get to the normal part. This investigation was performed by the NTSB. Woo, woo, woo. Here's a familiar phrase. This aircraft (laughs) was not equipped with, nor Nor was it it required required to to be equipped equipped with, with any black boxes. Nor are they still.
1: Nor are they still required to be equipped with. Nor will they be required to be equipped with. Nor are they required to be equipped with. Nor are they equipped with.
0: (laughs) It's too much. It's too much
2: for general aviation. It's just too much. But wait. So far. There's more. It did have two handheld Garmin GPS systems on board. Yep.
1: Those are actually pretty handy. However. <laughs> There's there it is.
2: There it is. Neither were able to be extracted because of impact damage. E. But wait! Ooh. <laughs> the aircraft's multifunctional display had a memory chip. Alright. However <laughs> <laughs> <Our guess>. ah! <laughs> It was also too badly damaged.
1: Uh. Hope stashed. <laughs>
2: So all investigators had was air traffic control, audio, and radar recordings. Pilots are advised to announce their position and intentions on the Common Traffic Advisory Frequency, or CTAF, of 123.05 MHz when flying over the Hudson and 123.075 MHz when flying over the East River. Neither of these frequencies recorded anything from the accident flight. Hmm. So they didn't transmit anything? On nope. They're, you're supposed to just click onto that radio and say, hey, I'm here. I'm doing this. They didn't, they do, didn't that. do that.
1: They didn't do that. Nope. So this is just like super illegal. what they were doing?
2: So they're nah. not required to do it. But it's, might... it's like good, good,
0: like uh, practice. Practice to just be like, hey, just so you're aware, this is where I
2: am. That's why it's I. It's a good I, safety. I, feature. I worded it as pilots are advised.
1: Yes. Not required. It is a good Got safety it. feature.
2: I recommend doing it. Yeah. I, as a professional podcaster. Yes, I, as a
0: professional <laughs> aviation podcaster.
1: At this point, I, though, though we could probably be qualified as aircraft safety specialists <laughs> in some way. Ugh. I know that's a vague thing, but the reality is, we know a lot of very touchy uh, subjects for aircraft I safety. I wouldn't
2: have done this whole BS thing. I would like now. This is way post when I should have been saying this, but all of the speculation and comments we had about Miranda's flight. Yes, that is all Monday night quarterbacking. It right? is saying that on a Monday night. Exactly. We're not qualified to say or speculate on these things. We weren't there, I know. Just bear with us. So, back to this one. Investigators interviewed witnesses, with five eyewitnesses being the most prominent. They reported a steep left turn to the south before striking the building. Two of them reported that it was pulling up in the turn when it struck. The last witness said the wings were wobbling, like the pilot was fighting for control. Mm. The (laughs) aircraft was pitched down and right... At the time of impact. Investigators also reviewed the autopsy results, which listed blunt force trauma as the cause of death for both occupants. But investigators wanted to see the report to try and determine which of the occupants was flying at the time. That's fair. Unfortunately, both of them were too badly injured for that to be determined with any amount of certainty. However, the pilot-rated passenger seemed to have some injuries consistent with controlling the joystick at the time of impact. But again, that is not confirmed. It's not certain. Yeah. Yeah. Investigators took the radar data along with the manual for the aircraft to try to estimate the flight's performance at the time of the accident. It was approaching the north end of the East River exclusion zone where the floor of the Bravo transitions from 1,101 feet to the ground, forcing them to either turn around and go back or get air traffic control clearance to enter the Bravo. So, why couldn't they safely turn? Based on their speed of 97 knots and an easterly wind of 13 knots and their position at the beginning of the turn, they would have needed to turn with a bank of at least 50 degrees, but no greater than 61 degrees. At least 50 degrees was needed to keep a tight turn within the confines of the river, but any greater than 61 degrees would have led to an aerodynamic stall. So, what does that mean? When a plane is flying, it gets lift from having air flow over the wings. If you are at too tight, too steep of a bank, you're not getting air over your wings anymore.
0: Yeah, we covered that in an episode. Do I remember what episode it was? No. But we did cover
2: it in an episode. <laughs> it's so brilliant. So
1: one of the things... There was
2: a famous one caught on camera. It was like a B-52 or something.
1: There was a C-17 and a B-52. There's two different incidents that both involved accelerated stalls. Both of them were pretty crazy to watch, actually. But the thing about the Cirrus in particular versus most other aircraft in the same class is the Cirrus has a very unique wing for its class. It has a high-speed wing with a notch in it. And this high-speed wing actually means that the aircraft has to fly at a higher speed, at a higher performance than other aircraft in its class. Most aircraft, like they're like Cessnas and Pipers that are simple single-engine piston aircraft. They all will take off in the range of 50 to 60 knots, while this aircraft's takeoff speed is generally 90 to 100. Right. Which is significantly higher. Right. And that's because of the high-speed wing that's on this airplane. So it is also prone to stalling in a high-speed stall earlier than on these other aircraft like Cessnas and Pipers, which means it also Fine. also needs more distance to do a turn than a Cessna or a Piper. Or
2: it needs to be a tighter turn.
1: Well, but even if it does a tighter turn, a Cessna and a Piper can outdo it because they're going slower.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so their turn needed to be between 50 and 61 degrees. What was their turn at? 40 to 45 degrees, based yeah. on their ground speed and turn radius. And they were only three quarters of the way through the 180 degree turn before they approached the western shore of the East River, at which point witnesses reported the wobbling and a steep bang angle. You know what's on the western shore of the East River? Manhattan. building, Maybe. Yep. <laughs> Invis- investigators deemed it likely that the pilots realized they needed a tighter turn and did so, but in so doing sent themselves into the stall because there wasn't enough airflow over the wings because they tightened their turn to beyond 61 degrees. The other significant factor of this was how they started the turn to begin with. At this point on the East River, the usable width was about 2,100 feet, giving them plenty of room to perform such a maneuver. But they were flying more or less in the middle of the river, so when they started their turn, they only had 1,400 feet to work with as far as width which was actually made worse by the easterly wind. Investigators could not determine, though, if they were aware of this wind or not. There are ways to become aware of the wind if you're paying attention. Whether or not they knew about it, no way to know. The pilots could have dramatically improved their turning radius if they had flown to the west side of the river and made a right turn into the easterly wind. Had they done this, they would have only needed a 35 degree bank angle instead. Investigators considered that these pilots may have been more concerned with either penetrating the Bravo or flying over Manhattan. No, you should not do these things if you can avoid it. Yep. But ultimately, the priority is maintaining control of the aircraft. Fly your aircraft. Yep. Yeah, really like
0: puncturing the Bravo. It's penetrating the Bravo. Penetrating <laughs> Or
1: in aviation. Or an aviation we call it busting the Bravo. So
0: if you have to bust the Bravo, normally you need explicit permission to do so. However, if you did so for a couple of seconds or minutes, whereas... For safety reasons. For safety reasons. They might you, give you a
1: phone number to call, but you'll be okay. Yeah, you'll be and alive. And if
0: you call said phone number and be like, yo, I was trying to like make sure I didn't die. Right. Then they'd probably be like, chill, you're good. But Maybe don't do that next time, please, but okay. Please try to make sure you're like doing the right thing next time, but also... like. It's one of those things where it's better to do it and then live, ask for forgiveness later yeah. and be like, here's what happened and explain it. Then die because you're trying not to bust the bravo.
1: Can Pretty you much. Like,
2: lose your pilot's license no. and all that? Only If you if do you're... it in a dumb way. If wave. you do it
0: on purpose. Right. And if you do it. Or recklessly. With recklessly right. and not care about the implication.
1: In an instance it. like this, okay. there still might be a small bit of negligence that could be... Like if they had lived, they had managed to avoid buildings, they busted the Bravo, they flew over Manhattan, they got a phone number, they might still have a little bit of negligence put on that license, and they might be forced to do a minor amount of retraining. But before, they wouldn't lose it. Before the license would be active again, but they wouldn't lose their license.
2: Okay. Which is yes. actually a certificate. It's a good question. we wondering. It's a very good It question. is not a license. Technically, it is a certificate. It is a certificate. Because it does not expire. Right. Oh, I did not know that. Fun mm-hmm. fact.
1: Does not expire, but the rating can lapse. So you still have that certificate. You never lose it. You don't have to be completely retrained, but you have to become current again. You have to maintain that currency.
0: Okay. Like Brendan recently had to do some hours with a instructor because he didn't fly for an extended period of time. So he had to become current on the airplane that he was yep. flying. Right. So usually that means flying with an instructor, doing a certain amount of training.
1: Right. Usually it's like one flight, maybe two, Got depending it. on how just out of touch you prove you still know what you're doing. Right. Okay. You just do a quick proof flight. That's it. But you don't have to go through the check right again, which is the final exam. And you don't have to do 52 hours of experience to get there. Got it.
2: Another thing that is notable that they also could have done. So let me pull back up the map. It's not great, but you might notice that this portion of the exclusion zone goes up to 1,100 feet. 1,101 feet. Mm-hmm. That is taller than most of the buildings, if not yes. all of the buildings. Yeah, They could I don't, have been higher. They could have just,
1: I don't know, climbed. They shouldn't have been at 500 feet.
2: They were very low.
1: Yeah. I mean, I understand. So there's... Okay.
2: They had 600 feet that they could have climbed.
1: The rule, and this is very... This is such a gray area when you get to Manhattan, because this is a very, very difficult thing. But the rule is generally that you're not supposed to fly within 500 feet of a quote-unquote congested area or living person.
2: I think Manhattan qualifies.
1: Yeah, you think?
0: Considering all the that's happened with Manhattan in planes?
1: So yeah. that's the rule for the FAA overall. No matter the airplane. If you're not approaching an airport or departing an airport, you are supposed to remain at minimum, five hundred feet above any person, as well as five hundred feet in distance away from any person.
2: And again, I did say like they had to take into consideration this exclusion zone for sightseeing helicopters, mm-hmm. which have a lot more control in this mm-hmm. kind of scenario.
1: Helicopters are usually the exception to this rule because of the way they operate. The
2: other factor, which is on the second image from Nick's four-flight app, there's this teal rectangle. You might be wondering what that is, because that ain't Roosevelt Island that's a little further north. Mm-mm. That is a seaway, a sea runway. Yep. That is a runway for seaplanes. That's yep. the other reason that that exclusion zone exists. Yep. So, Because anyway. seaplanes also exist. Yes. So the dangers of flying in this exclusion zone should have been recognized during pre-flight planning.
1: It's like flying in a canyon.
2: Or a uh, pass.
1: Yep. Failing thing. pass. <laughs> Level pass, <laughs>
2: <laughs> and this is really similar to that instance. They flew in a very narrow zone and did mm-hmm. not have the room to turn around. Right, that's exactly what happened here, and yep. that's exactly what happened then. Granted, it's a little bit different of circumstances. That was a natural valley created. Right,
1: this one's man-made and theoretical because their ending of the airspace was still over the river. Yep, even though that's a theoretical. Border,
2: Whereas, it turns out, Loveland Pass is a pretty hard stop. Yep. But they also could have realized this danger in flight and acted in a way to maximize their turning capabilities. They also could have just, I don't know, asked ATC, like, hey, I'm in a rough situation. Can you let me into the Bravo for a few minutes? Thank you. And they probably would have gotten clearance to do Mm -hmm. so. They were so low. When interviewed, air traffic control actually said this is a pretty common occurrence. Mm -hmm. Well, and to be
0: fair, I mean, if you find yourself in a situation where you're like... I gotta go into the Bravo. Like there's like Ask with there's permission. Nothing, you can do at that point. Nothing else you can do. It's like, hey, uh, can I just go into the Bravo for, just like, for a quick second? A
2: couple minutes so yeah. <laughs> I can get myself out of the Bravo. And I mean, yeah, sure it's a little annoying to them, but it's the safer thing to do. It's so better do than it. you flying into an airliner.
0: It's also better than you breaking the Bravo without saying anything. It's also safer than flying into a building.
2: <laughs> so the probable cause. The National Transportation Safety Board determines that the probable cause of this accident was the pilot's inadequate planning, judgment, and airmanship in the performance of a 180-degree turn maneuver inside of a limited turning space. Yep. My last small little point. In 2007, Lytle's family sued Cirrus. Why? Alleging a mechanical defect. Nope. With what? I don't know. This was on Wikipedia. It was a sentence.
1: Nope. Pilot error. Sorry.
2: But the jury did not find in their favor when they finally ruled four years later.
1: Wow.
0: That's,
2: That's a long lawsuit.
0: That's a, wow. de, a huge deliberation. No.
2: I just think, here's
0: my thought, right? It's like... You only have one? You, you, oh, man. <laughs> we could stay here all night talking about this, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there are problems, right? Like, you don't want to bust the Bravo. Right. You don't want to do that. It gets you in a lot of trouble. Oh, yeah. We, we've seen a few very comedic times where... You're violating my airspace. That's literally where that came from, by the way. Like, there were a few very arrogant pilots that have busted the Bravo before. Gotten yelled at by air traffic. Got yelled at. And they're like, get out of my airspace. And they're like, give me clearance. And they're like, that's not how this works. Right. (laughs) And I feel like part of it is like, I don't want to be an inconvenience, but also you need a plan.
1: Yeah, you gotta. Plan if you're
0: gonna sightsee, great, amazing. How are you gonna get out of there?
1: <laughs> right, you gotta plan it.
0: Especially with a place like this, where the Bravo is literally like three sides. Right.
2: it's it's a cluster.
0: Figure it out, friendos. Yep. Have a plan. If you don't figure it out on the move, be like, we need to get, we need to burst the Bravo a little bit to yeah. turn around or whatever. Gotta be call just, ATC. Just
1: conscious of it. Something. Just
0: just. just just be conscious. Yes. Okay. Be in the moment. All right. Which is another thing that probably
1: doesn't happen for your story. Oh, mine just gets worse.
2: Oh, okay. you think ours were bad? <laughs>
1: wait. Just. <laughs> oh wait. my god.
2: Just. You so wait. who's your
0: baseball player? <laughs>
2: <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> he he obscures this ish.
1: You do. Some people will know this incident because this is much more recent than either one of yours. So we're just working progressively closer in time.
2: We did that on purpose.
1: Yep. This one I'm gonna talk about November 922 Bravo Alpha. This happened on November 7th of 2017. Wow. I remember, Super recent. I remember when this happened. I remember everything that came from this when this happened. It's- I remember how much attention this airplane got when this happened. Because it's bad. And we're gonna talk a little bit about that later on.
2: It's not good.
1: What kind of airplane was this? This was an Icon A5. This is a very strange looking airplane. That's the Um, only image maybe you should pull up. I'm
2: working on it. Shut your hole.
1: It's a worthwhile thing. (laughs)
2: Hold on.
1: To explain this airplane, because this- I need several explanations. Yes, you do. Because this is a very unique little airplane that is- It looks so stupid. Wildly popular, actually. (laughs) Sorry, it looks really stupid. These airplanes sell for about $300,000. That's
0: am- pretty cheap
1: for an airplane. Relatively. It's this,
2: amphibious.
1: This is considered an amphibious aircraft. It is light sport. It's a seaplane? Yep. So it lands on water or on land. It's, it's got landing gear. It's got retractable landing gear. And it can land on the water because it's part boat. If you look at the cabin of it, it looks like a car. Oh, it's whoa, a, but oh my gosh. It's a light sport aircraft. So it was designed to be... You only need a a sport license to fly it.
2: You don't even need a private pilot's license. Right,
1: which is a much more simple thing. You only need like 20-some hours to get this license.
2: That's what I
0: was going to say. I'm like, that's not good.
1: (laughs) So you don't need a lot of hours to get one of these things. I don't like it. And fly it. They're relatively affordable. They're really simple inside because they don't fly at high altitude. You can't fly them in many airspaces. But they're really meant for just very much leisure, enjoyment, flying. They're very simple airplanes. They don't fly fast. It's a single engine mounted on top (laughs) of the airplane. I But they're still kind of... I hate this, actually. But they're still kind of like little sports cars. So they... I hate it. But it's an
0: airplane. It is. But I feel like you should have more yep. knowledge before you decide to spend $300,000 on an airplane. Yeah. <laughs> but not, I'm guessing not a lot of people do
1: that. They're oh. like,
2: oh, it's $300,000. Let's get it. So. Which is also the stereotype for Cirrus pilots.
1: It very much is. I could talk for hours on that and I'm not gonna because I don't need to tarnish it too much.
2: <laughs> That's for the post episode.
1: Yeah, we could talk a little bit about that in the post episode. <laughs> So, this was a VFR flight, visual flight rules flight. Okay. Around Odessa, Florida. Is he a Florida man? (laughs) At the time he was. At the time he was. The pilot was 40 years old at the time. He was male. He had 721 and a half hours, which is
2: actually Jesus. That's more than yours did. Yeah, it's, it's still a actually, lot more.
1: It's still actually quite a bit of hours. Like he so he actually experience. had a
2: private
0: pilot certificate. Yes,
1: I believe he did. He was flying okay. like Cessnas and such before this.
0: Okay, that doesn't mean it's not
1: stupid. Oh, had,
2: I know the cause.
1: <laughs> here we, so he had 51.8 hours on this type of aircraft. Okay. However, this one he owned. Okay. And he had flown for 14 and a half. Okay. He picked it up four weeks before the incident.
0: <sighs> okay.
1: The aircraft departed from... Island Ford Lake in Odessa, Florida, at 1147 a.m., middle of the day. Okay. The aircraft descended to about 1,909 feet and headed north for about four nautical miles before turning westbound toward the Gulf of Mexico. The aircraft descended down to 600 feet and flew for about 10 nautical miles. Okay, fine. All of that's technically legal. All of it's okay. He's flying out toward the Gulf. Once over the Gulf, just beyond the shoreline, the aircraft descended and turned south, To fly along the west coast of Florida. Once you're out over nothing, once you're flying over nobody, no sea vessel, no people, as long as you're more than 500 feet away from them horizontally, you can be pretty much as low as you want. There's kind of no limitation to that. Though there's still a lot of legalities to that should you hit something. (laughs) Yeah. Or you accidentally do fly over somebody. So there's still a lot of legalities to that. So it's still a do not do. That's pretty much the recommendation there.
2: No me gusta. Do not buzz people over Horsetooth Reservoir.
1: Right. that happened <clears> here. <throat> and they claimed a mechanical issue, but I don't no, think you're they're going to get away st- with that one. Stupid. Yeah. yeah. Based on the eyewitness accounts, I don't think they're going to get away with that one. Anyways, that's a whole other thing. So, they're flying south along the west coast of Florida in the Gulf of Mexico. The Florida. He is the only person on board this airplane, by the way.
0: Okay. Well, at least- It's only a two-seater. He only- There's nobody else there. Hurt himself.
1: Yep. 12.01 p.m. in 16 seconds, the airplane entered a heavy right bank to change headings a little over 90 degrees to the right to head west.
2: I do have this picture, if you want it, of the flight track.
1: It's not a bad thing, actually, because it might help visualize some of this. So we're right there, 12.01 and 16 Here, seconds.
2: I can obscure with the rest of it.
1: Yes, it. <laughs> just keep that there for just a second. So he enters this hard right bank to do a, 90, a little over 90 degree turn to head west. Immediately followed by a heavy left bank making a little over 90-degree heading change to the south, so he did this whole S-turn, okay. basically, in a very short period of time. The kicker to this, the airplane nearly touched the water while performing this maneuver.
2: He was that low? You see that? I'm sorry, does that say zero feet of it altitude?
1: zero feet. Now, that's GPS altitude.
2: I don't which care. Which isn't
1: necessarily entirely accurate.
2: That doesn't make it any
0: more comfortable, Nick. <laughs> like, I, I feel like an airplane should be a little bit higher up than that.
1: So, like, the I would previous agree. one that says 12 feet, like, he was only 12 feet above the water? Uh-huh. So. Ah! <laughs> so,
0: not going to be good.
1: So, you might notice what he was about to fly over when he made that S turn. <laughs> he might have been thinking about that rule in his head and said, oh, I can't fly over that at this altitude. Made a very hard S turn. Yeah, you bet your right, you can't. <laughs> So he made a very hard S-turn to avoid flying over oh. something, it looks over
2: like. Over Green Key?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yep. Of which there might not have been anybody there, but you still can't fly over it.
0: I feel like he would have crashed earlier really, if he tried to fly over it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You might be right. That's just
1: <laughs> so- 12
0: feet, zero feet.
1: 12.02 p.m. in 26 seconds, so just over a minute later, the aircraft made another sharp maneuver off of its flight path, making a very hard right bank to do a full 360-degree turn.
0: What the, <laughs> what the fu- Why is he so low? About 19
1: feet. Why is he so <laughs> low?
0: You're in an aircraft. You can fly at least 100 feet above this water. Why right. is he so
1: and the reality is, I think he was a little bit higher than that, actually, when he was doing most of these maneuvers, but not
0: by much. He, yeah, <laughs> I was, I, it makes me uncomfortable. I'll
1: pull up the video here, or if you want to YouTube, that's okay. There's there's a very short video for just a moment that shows him doing one of these maneuvers, but we'll get there in a little bit. Don't okay. do it yet. Okay. Don't do it yet.
0: Hold on. Hold on.
1: Yeah. 12.03 PM and 34 seconds, so a little over a minute again. The aircraft was back on a south heading at 210 feet. When it suddenly pitched up, engine power was then reduced, and the airplane suddenly banked hard to the right, with airspeed falling to about 75 knots, which is actually still well within the airplane's capabilities. But basically, he fell into an accelerated stall. Stall, yeah. The airplane nosed over to the right into an unrecoverable dive. 12.03 p.m. and 41 seconds, the aircraft crashed into the water in the Gulf of Mexico at about a 45-degree nose down, but wings level. Attitude. The aircraft broke up on impact and came to rest inverted in four feet of water.
2: Okay, listen, there is
1: yeah, it's like another sand, island. It's like a sandbar, basically. Uh, he had managed to get all the way up to three hundred and fifty eight uh, feet, according to the GPS. Okay, that's still
2: five hundred feet.
1: Before he fell. That's five hundred feet. Right.
2: I, I don't I don't
0: understand. Like, was he scared of like flying the plane higher than that? We'll like get there. what
1: we'll get there. The sole pilot of the aircraft perished in the impact. That pilot was Roy Holiday. He was an eight-time all-star pitcher for the Toronto Blue Jays from 1998 to 2009. Damn. 11 years. And the Phillies from 2010 to 2013, so another three years.
0: Damn. Did he retire after that? Because this happened in 2017.
1: Yeah, he retired after 2013. We'll get to all of the everything about him later. Okay. Because it all becomes relevant later. Okay. Anyways.
2: I trust you. It's fine.
1: This investigation was performed by the...
2: TSB! Wow, how'd you guess? (laughs) This aircraft was not equipped with, nor Nor was it it required to be be equipped equipped with, with with black boxes. You are right. FDR or FDR. Right. Do you have any
0: howovers? However! No, I'm just kidding. I do. But we'll
1: get there. (laughs) (laughs) But we'll get there.
2: Oh, God.
1: Investigators immediately looked into a few things about this airplane. The aircraft was found entirely at the crash site, so all of it was there.
2: Yeah. Good, good, good.
1: They found that all parts of the aircraft that had separated from the airframe including the airframe itself, had separated. (laughs) But both wings had separated. The canopy had fallen off. All of this separated due to overloading from impact with the water. So everything was on the airplane when it hit the water. This included all of the control surface cables. They were all broken from overloading. There are
0: some fun uh, pictures of this on the newsletter. Mm -hmm. Because this is the one crash that had
1: pretty detailed pictures, (laughs) actually. Pretty
0: detailed pictures on the accident. Yes, they did.
1: Yep.
2: Also, they make that sound like a pretty innocuous finding. Like, yeah, everything was in overload. You know how they have to go over every single edge of every single piece to determine yes, nothing they was did. fatigued?
1: Yep. And they wanted to make sure absolutely nothing was, was broken on the airplane broken that caused due this. due to fatigue. Yeah. Rightfully you just so.
2: condensed months of work into a
1: sentence. Pretty much. Rightfully so. <laughs> Rightfully so. Because they wanted to make sure that all of this crazy everything this airplane was doing wasn't out of control because of some odd... Mechanical issue, something. With
0: that airplane. Because
1: the airplane was brand new, and I'll, I'll bring this up now, there were two other incidents that had happened just before this. One of them involving the engineer of the company who built the airplane.
0: Oh, actually. Killed him.
1: Yep. So they wanted to make sure in all of these incidents, since they were killing some prominent and important people, they didn't want it to be anything related to the airplane. Well... Everything's here at the crash site. Looks like everything mechanically was okay with the airplane. So far. The aircraft was equipped with a digital-to-analog data memory unit, which stored much of the aircraft's critical physical data, attitude, and engine data. However... No however. Damn it! <laughs> it acted as an FDR. Well, it actually hada. It actually stored pretty much all of the data in relation to the control surfaces, the inputs, the engine data, the attitude, the altitude... Everything about the airplane's physical area. Like, it, it even yeah. it even noted the angle of attack. Everything. It knew everything about the airplane. This was important. Investigators accessed this data quickly, and it immediately revealed something startling. All of the maneuvers in low flight appeared to be intentional by the pilot, as all aspects of the aircraft appeared to be functioning normally, and all stats of the aircraft were operating as designed according to the data, despite the flight path and behavior.
0: I just, I'm like... There's, like, 12 feet, 0 feet, 19 feet, a little over 200 feet. Like, mm-hmm. what was the point? Mm-hmm. I don't understand. Like, if it was to cruise over the ocean, you could do that in a boat. Right. Like, why do you got to do it in an aircraft?
1: We'll get there. Well, this raised some questions to investigators, and they began looking at the possibilities associated with all this data. They also wanted to check one key feature of this airplane. Which ended up adding to the mystery. This aircraft is one of the only other airplanes...
0: That has a chute?
1: Apart from Cirrus, (laughs) that is equipped with a parachute! (laughs) It has a chute! That's what I just looked at. It is called the Complete Aircraft Parachute System.
2: Which is also called a CAPS. Which is also CAPS. (laughs) Okay, so listen. Linda. Linda.
0: Like, I understand. Cirrus, Mm -hmm. they fancy... Mm-hmm. They try to be bougie
1: with the with the parachute. Yes, right? and it There's, does save people's lives.
0: It does, but I feel like it's some also pilots the new rely doctor. on it too much. Yes, yep. And it's a whole thing. You're correct. I don't understand on a seaplane mm-hmm. for an aircraft where you don't need a lot of hours to operate it, and also like I don't know. It just is interesting to me that they're like this also needs a parachute.
1: Well, it actually kind of makes sense because this airplane is so simple. It needs a simple way to get people safely out of bad
0: situations. (laughs) Because they don't have enough hours to figure it out for themselves. That's kind
1: of part of it. Uh, It doesn't have all the systems required to put itself back into a safe situation should Uh... it need it in some cases. For one, two, this airplane fly is pretty slow. Compared to a Cirrus, its top speed is about the takeoff speed of a Cirrus. So, (laughs) This airplane is not designed to be a fast flyer.
2: Which I find interesting because so most of this information is actually on a Catherine's report page, which if you don't go on that website, you should. It will be actually on the list of references for this. I don't know who Catherine is, but she puts out everything within minutes. Yep. She's like the on the stay in history guy.
1: Yeah, on Facebook, for he
2: gets a lot of stuff from Catherine's report. Yep.
1: Well,
0: and Catherine, I mean, I I just figured this out because I had to do the January newsletter newsletter, but I took a lot of the pictures for this specific crash mm-hmm. from her. Yep. There, I'll say there because I don't know if they go by she/her, but their website because they put out mm-hmm. stuff about accidents and incidents.
1: Right. Yep.
2: So the reason I find this intriguing that you say it doesn't fly very fast. Roy Halliday tweeted,
1: "Yes. I'm going to get there. <laughs> Don't talk about that yet cuz all that will come up when everything important ha- about him.
2: He thinks it's fast.
1: Yeah. We'll get there.
2: <laughs> what? Uh-huh.
1: We'll talk about it. We'll we'll talk about it. We'll talk about. It. Oh god.
2: I thought okay. that was a pretty innocuous thing so I didn't think I'd step into No, no, on my toes. no I it is. It
1: is a little bit because there's a lot to talk about with him later.
2: Holy. After god. the
1: whole thing you know about.
2: <laughs> he, he's an individual. All right. An individual. Not a good one.
1: Investigators, of course, wanted to know if the parachute was used or it was attempted to be used. Was it deployed? Right. After the wreckage was recovered, they found something interesting. The parachute was not deployed. Further, the handle was stowed, meaning it was not even attempted. Even further to that, they found the safety pin was still installed. Now, okay, it has a safety pin.
2: Shouldn't you take that out?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hit the nose on the... the Nick is pointing to Christy. (laughs) Right, so... That. Just a thought. Why is that important? Well, as part of the startup checklist, there is a point that requires the safety pin be removed.
0: From the chute?
1: This is important because it allows access to that handle to be pulled. So that the chute will work? At any given time, should the pilot need it, in a very immediate situation, he can pull it and it will go. That's the same thing on the Cirrus. It's exactly the same design.
2: So assuming that you're actually going through your checklists... You would pull it. Right.
1: You would pull the pin out. So
2: checklist seems to be an ongoing it thing. It seems to be a theme here.
1: That's an important thing. Yeah, this was a pretty critical misstep. So, seeing as Roy Halliday was intentionally operating the aircraft at such a low altitude, did he also intentionally leave the pin in due to the limitations of the aircraft? So they wanted to know, like, maybe he knew because he was operating the airplane at such a low altitude that he,
0: the wouldn't, parachute wouldn't,
1: he wouldn't need the parachute? Something like that? The short answer? No.
0: Oh, well...
1: The long answer to that is that while the aircraft's operating manual does mention the ideal operational range of the caps, there is no actual restriction on this caps, unlike the Cirrus. It literally says in the operating manual, no restrictions on caps use. They can pull it at any time.
2: I don't love that.
1: I don't either, but this airplane operates so slow that it makes sense because the Cirrus can operate too fast for that parachute to work.
0: But this... But the. When he's so low, it won't do it's anything. It's not
1: going to do anything, of course.
0: <laughs> he was literally flying so low that even if he tried to deploy it, it wouldn't have done anything to save his life.
1: You're correct. Right. This means that Halliday should have known that the caps could have been used at any time to aid in safely bringing the aircraft to the ground should he find himself in trouble. So he should have pulled the pin. This was another startling revelation. Does that mean that this was a missed purely out of negligence? Was this all truly just pilot error? Well, a video surfaced publicly shortly after the accident that came from a witness on the ground, which showed the aircraft maneuvering in a dangerous manner at a very low altitude, confirming what the data had told investigators.
0: And we are watching thing.
1: I believe this was part of that 360-degree turn, the second yeah. maneuver. They'll zoom in here in a moment.
0: And it hit. Oh, nope, not, not there. Yeah. So
1: this was after the second maneuver, so he's basically at sea level after that. So he did that 360 degree to the right, which was a very hard thing. And he did it basically up to the right and then back down.
0: I'll try to make sure this is on the website, by the way.
1: Oh, I mean, every video you'll find this in, it looks just like this. So yeah, he comes out of that right turn, that right bank really hard. And then he's just at sea level, basically flying out. And there is audio to this video on some of the other ones. This one didn't have any audio. And that's part of why I wanted you to pull this one up anyways. But the guy who's taking the video is... Cursing and everything, going, what the hell is this? Son of a... Yeah, he's like wondering What's this f-
2: how doing?
1: How crazy it is. So that. A short time later, all of their questions received a very unfortunate but clear answer. Roy Halliday's body had been recovered, even though the canopy had been thrown 50 feet from the aircraft and the pilot's seat was separated.
0: Jesus.
1: Yep, from the aircraft. The seatbelt had worked and held to the airframe, so... It actually not the like seat
0: belt my issue. Worked. Right, yeah.
1: right, right. His body was taken for an autopsy, which revealed that he had a very dangerous combination of substances in his body.
0: I was gonna say, guess what? It's probably fact like he was freaking intoxicated of some kind.
1: These consisted of morphine.
0: Morphine. Hold on. What?
1: Oh, it gets so much worse.
0: Morphine.
1: <laughs> yep.
0: How is he even walking if he's on morphine? Right.
1: Morphine, hydromorphone, amphetamine, fluoxetine, which is an antidepressant, baclofen, which is a muscle relaxer. Hold on. What? And zolpidem, which is a sleep aid.
0: This almost sounds like a a suicide. How is he
1: awake? This is described as being similar to a, quote, speedball. Oh, you forgot that? By the person who did the autopsy.
2: Oh, good God.
1: And deemed him unfit to fly. No. (laughs) <laughs> this combination would have had Heliday in an impaired state, which it would have ha- caused him to have poor judgment and decision-making skills with regarding to flying. Wow! I wonder why he was flying so f***ing <laughs> low! Maybe it was because
0: he was on amphetamines, morphine, and a sleep relaxer.
1: This pretty much... A muscle ex- relaxer. This pretty <laughs> <The> much... <laughs> yep, this pretty much explained everything wrong.
2: This is the most Miranda's yelled in a while. <laughs> Listen, what... What human in their right f- mind? He wasn't goes, in his right mind. Goes, you know
0: what would be great right now? I'm on all this f- medication that's going to make go me absolutely my... not know what the f- I'm doing. I'm going to go fly an airplane. Gonna that's fly what fly I'm going to do.
1: Brand new airplane. So there's he no was, findings. He in
2: wasn't the... in his right mind.
1: Right. There's no actual Ruh. findings or recommendations for this. So I'm just going to read the probable cause, which is very short. The National Transportation Safety Board determines that the probable cause of this accident to be the pilot's improper decision to perform aggressive low-altitude maneuvers due to his impairment from the use of multiple psychoactive substances, which resulted in the loss of control. No, Sherlock. That is the whole thing.
2: No wonder he was flying so low the whole time.
1: Right. So... Let's talk about...
2: He also had nicotine in his system in case Yeah, but
1: that doesn't really
0: Nicotine, matter. whatever. Nicotine. Like, whatever. So- ibuprofen, again, is like, whatever. But mixed with everything else, probably not great. Right. How is his liver not already dead? I don't know.
2: There so- was also... You didn't mention it, and it wasn't a notable amount, since the legal limit is .08. Yes. Oh, alcohol? He
1: had some alcohol. He had
2: .01. Wow. You're not supposed to drink at all! Correct!
1: Correct. You're right. Some of this might have come from the medication because a lot of medications include a little bit of alcohol in them. Oh, well. But you
2: should keep an one. Right,
1: yes, correct. So.
2: (laughs) I also, I'm looking at the autopsy. Yeah. Because that's published.
1: Yeah, of course it is.
2: They're not always published. No,
1: but in this case.
2: This says cause of death was blunt force trauma contributed by drowning. Yes. So he was alive.
1: But probably very out of it.
2: I mean,
0: by the time he hit the water, he's like, whee! He, yeah, like, it doesn't sound like
1: he was very conscious at the time of the impact. I mean, he was pretty wildly impacted.
0: It seems like so he just, I don't even know how he got to his plane. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. So let me, let's discuss this just a little bit. The really unfortunate thing about this is shortly before the accident, a video had been published by Icon because he was a very famous person buying one of their aircraft, their new aircraft that was touted as being this cool hot rod thing. He had agreed to do a promotional video for them where he was just up and down excited about it during the time where he received the airplane, during his taking possession of the airplane. Right. And in this video is also very unfortunately his wife telling him how terrible of an idea she thought it was. And all of this, I mean, he's kind of as a joke, of course, but it's this whole thing. It was this whole video that was published by Icon about how cool it was, how excited he was and everything. And of course, they quickly took that down.
2: Yeah, I bet. Right after this happened. It looks like it was originally linked on the Catherine's report because it's showing it's no longer available. Right, it's no longer available. They probably shut it down
0: pretty
1: fast. Yep. On top of that, it was made pretty evident why he might do such a thing because of that tweet that you mentioned.
0: The tweet that said...
2: Hold on. He had
1: tweeted four weeks earlier about his excitement about acquiring the plane, which was reportedly suggested to be the name of Halliday's father, a retired commercial pilot. So, but... He had tweeted about.
2: He tweeted, I keep telling my dad flying the Icon A5 low over the water is like flying a fighter jet. His response, I am flying a fighter jet.
1: You might see why that would be a problem. Yes. Halliday had tweeted that, like, right after he got possession of the airplane. So it turns out this was his favorite thing to do. And then you do it on substances and it doesn't go well.
0: No, because, first of all, planes in general, including seaplanes, are not Mm -hmm. meant to be flown that low over the water. Right. You can... Oh, yeah. As long as you're in control of the aircraft, you can do it. It's not particularly safe. Right. Because the point of a seaplane isn't to just skim it over the water. It's to fly it so that when you get to a destination that doesn't have a runway that you can get to, you can land in the water. That's great. What? But, like, having a seaplane just to fly low over the water because you can, that's not safe.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. So, on October, what was October? Oh, I read it. Hold on.
2: Twenty sixth.
1: Yeah, I think it was October 26th. So on October 26th, which was only...
2: I will put it up there. Which was only
1: two weeks prior to this. They also found Data because mm -hmm, he had unfortunately made some errors in his messaging, but he had written about in his logbook that he had flown under a bridge. Which you shouldn't we, do. Well, which is, by the way, also illegal. <laughs> like at all. It's completely dangerous. In extremely rare instances is this ever ever legal. This is not one of them.
0: I hate to say that this is a typical thing I would expect from a Florida man, but it's a typical thing I would expect from a Florida
2: man. So some people the, are going to get real offended. The bridge. <laughs> is sorry, that, people yes.
1: from Florida, but um. So the bridge sorry. is 180 feet above water. And he wrote in his logbook that he flew underneath it, and then they found the data after the crash to back up the fact that he had done so.
0: It's just not good. It's just not... He's reckless. So
1: he was consistently making bad decisions.
2: It's really bad. In
1: regards to this airplane.
2: I'm really glad he only hurt himself. Yes. Thank God he wasn't in the
0: plane with anyone else. And really, I hate to say this, but, like, was no one else, like knowing that he was under the influence of like morphine right. and muscle relaxers and mm-hmm. like morphine itself will take you out. Right. Right. Depending on the dosage, but having muscle relaxers and other stuff on top of it, I'm kind of concerned that no one was like, oh, he's not home.
1: Yeah, it was a bad thing. Well,
0: and like, why was he? I, I don't think you know the answer to this and it's fine if you don't, but like, why was he on those things? Things Because a you, celebrity. Well, it, it, and it could be an abusive relationship with drugs. That's completely possible. The other possibility is like... is like an injury of some kind. But it's it's a lot of medication so, to be on.
2: From what I understand from all of the crime shows I watch, a speedball is a drug taken all at the same time. It is in one syringe or some other form of...
1: Right. consumption. Like
2: capsules or whatever. So they, but it's all taken at once. It is a... Dis-
1: purposefully done so.
2: It is a distributed drug amongst the crime community. It's not commercially available. It's...
1: So it, this is believed to have been an illicit
2: Yes, that's the word. Basically. So he did it on purpose. Yeah.
1: That's pretty much what they got at. They didn't explicitly state that anywhere.
2: Yeah. It, uh, a a speedball... They only stated what a, they
1: found in his system.
2: It's a concoction of substances all taken at once. It's just not great. Like And it's not intended to be. You're not intended to operate heavy machinery having consumed a speedball. AKA forklift or
0: a car or an aircraft. Or an
1: airplane. (laughs) But
0: my my thought goes to how did he even get to the point where he even got in his aircraft? Like, did he drive?
1: And if he drove... What I don't know is if maybe it took a little while for the list to set in.
2: The Catherine's report does have the autopsy report, which has the dosages. I am not... I put on many hats.
1: But none of us are medical professionals. I don't
2: don't know the significance of these dosages. Having them at all is not good. No, but I can't tell you what level of of impairment he may or may not have been experiencing, because I am not a medical professional, nor do I claim to be one, nor do I act. But bruh, like that's...
1: Right. Oof. So... All of that said, it was still unfortunate and it was it got a lot of attention because he was a very famous well, of course. baseball player. Yeah. I mean, I knew his name before the accident, and that says something because I don't follow sports. No,
0: you don't. So But I I mean I did too. I didn't realize he died in a plane yes. accident, but I, I knew his name.
1: Right. So tying this all together, of course, that means that all of these were baseball famous baseball players. Famous baseball players. In general aviation accidents. So that said, the baseball community didn't want his legacy to be tarnished after this, though, because for baseball, he had done a lot of very important things. Okay, and he fine. was still a very, very good player. So, <laughs> that said, immediately after the accident, the Phillies and the Blue Jays in Toronto had both retired his numbers so they cannot be used again.
2: Oh, I didn't look at that for mine.
1: That's okay. And just as well. He was elected in the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame in 2017, so it was a very quick thing. They put him into the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame in 2017. And then in 2019, he was elected into the MLB Hall of Fame, so the Major League Baseball Hall, Hall of Fame, with actually still a pretty impressive record. And like I said, he was an eight-time All-Star pitcher, so that's pretty, pretty crazy. In case you needed to know, let me see if I can find some stats.
2: While you do that. Corey Lytle is the third Yankee to die in a plane crash. The prior two were catcher Thurman Munson and pitcher Jim Harden. Mm-hmm. Yankees owner George Steinbrenner described Lytle's death as a terrible and shocking tragedy that stunned the entire Yankees organization and offered his condolences to Lytle's wife and six-year-old son. On October 12th, 2006, before the 2006 NLCS game in New York City between the New York Mets and the St. Louis Cardinals, both teams and all spectators observed a moment of silence in Lytle's memory. The Yankees wore black armbands during the entire 2007 season in memory of Lytle. On April 2nd, his widow and his son both threw the ceremonial first pitch on opening day at Yankee Stadium. I am not finding anything about retiring his number, however.
1: And that's okay. What does that mean? So the number cannot be used by anybody else. The jersey oh. number so can't be used can't by anybody they can't
2: recycle
0: else. the number to another player. I got you. This which often, happens a lot with the people who retire. Or pass away. And pass away. And then their number can be put for a new player mm-hmm. who comes
1: in. The they so often the,
2: retire numbers either if...
1: Really high legacy players that yeah. set a big precedent on... So
2: like John Elway's team. number... 95% Peyton shirt.
1: Manning's number is retired. Yeah. Is this just a baseball thing, or is this all, sport?
2: it's all sports? It's all sports. So I just described... We just described two football players. Yeah. So here's the
0: thing about Thurman Munson and his mm-hmm. number. His number was 15 with the Yankees. The oh. day after his death, before the start of the Yankees' four-game set with the Baltimore Orioles in the Bronx, the team... Played tribute to their deceased captain in a pregame ceremony in which the starters stood at their defensive positions, save for the catcher's box, which remained empty. Mm-hmm. Following the player by the Cardinal Terence Choke, a moment of silence in America the Beautiful was played. As the fans burst into an eight-minute standing ovation, catcher Jerry Norin, who replaced Munson behind the plate that night, remained in the dugout and did not enter the field until the stadium bouncer Bob Shepard said, And now it is time to play ball. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for your cooperation. In Munson's memory, in 1980, a plaque was dedicated and was placed in Monument Park. The plaque bars excerpts from the inscription composed by Stunbrenner and Flash, the stadium scoreboard, the day after his death. Right. He was apparently captain of the team, too. Mm-hmm. I believe that. Which is like... It's that's big, horrible yeah
1: it's it also deal. said
0: one of the Yankee executives said that Munson thought he was a better pilot than he actually was and that he was like he's gonna kill himself one day mm, that's not good and then he did so the
1: so. unfortunate thing is that all three of these were pilot error another thing about Roy Halladay by the way he was, he was local
2: he was born in Denver he was
1: born in Denver and he played baseball at Arvada West High School
2: really
0: Arvada West huh yeah
1: he played baseball at Arvada West. Wow. Yep, when he was in high school. So he was from Denver. One last little note on him, and I'll read this just directly from the Wikipedia page. He's on... also a Mormon. Oh, <laughs> yeah. no. On May 14th, 2021, on what would have been Halliday's 44th birthday, Jay's Care Foundation from the Toronto Blue the Jays. Toronto yeah. The Toronto Yeah. Blue Jays. Yeah. <laughs> that.
0: <laughs> Did I say? Excuse
1: me. Holy cow. <laughs> Announced the naming of Toronto's first accessible baseball diamond as Roy Halliday Field, located at Highview Park in Birchcliff neighborhood of Scarborough. Roy Halliday Field will be used by Athletes in Jays Care's Challenger Baseball Program, an adaptive baseball cr- program for Canadian kids living with cognitive and or physical disabilities. So they named that field after him in Toronto nice. just a year and a half ago.
0: Wow. You got anything else but your guy? Nope. All right. So That, they, they were that was the, the famous...
1: Baseball player. baseball
0: player crashes, which is not all of them, obviously, no. but no. the three that were recommended to us by Bob. Thank Thanks, Bob. Bob.
1: Obviously, because we can do any one of them as a full episode, because like mine didn't have any findings or recommendations. It was a very mine short. Mine
0: didn't have any recommendations. I didn't have any findings or recommendations. None of
1: these were very large official reports from the NTSB. They were like their summary reports. These short. So we kind
0: of just shoved them together because we're like, eh.
2: Yeah,
1: they're all related. They're Here. related. As well.
0: Happy New Palette Year. Error.
2: Happy New Year. Here's your long episode.
1: But there you go.
0: Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Aaron, for being on. Thanks.
1: That's some fun. good questions. Yeah. Thank you. It was a lot of fun being here.
0: Yeah. Remember to check out Patreon. My weekly Patreon plug. Yes. Please help us. Please.
1: We're gonna go do our post-episode after this, which you can listen to if you're a patron. A five-dollar patron. Right. Five-dollar patron. Which
0: you also get special mini episodes, which we may do more of in the future. Who knows?
1: Someday we'll get Sorry. around to that.
0: <laughs> uh, and you get blooper reel content which there's quality stuff in here that'll Holy be on blooper reel and
1: uh lately i feel like we've added a lot oh
2: man <laughs> Paige is really good at picking out stuff that's like this would be great november's yeah. is long
1: it is long. it's very
2: long thank there's you, a wasp thank you chris on the other side of the world yes yes
0: so That being said, thank you very much. If you can't do that and you'd prefer to do something else, you can contribute via Anchor or Patreon for less than $2 if you really want to. It's up to you. We never pressure anybody to do that. We appreciate any help you give us, period. Yep. Including just listening. So thank you.
1: Helps us keep operating.
0: Giving us a, a rating also helps. So anywhere you can do that would be great. And feel free to like email us. Or contact us, Instagram, Facebook. Like, we like hearing from you guys. We'll answer you. Even if it's not right away, we're sorry. We're busy.
2: (laughs) We also do the thing like, hey, did you see that message? Yeah, I'll answer. Yeah. Sure. It's usually me that answers. Yeah. However, some, sometimes, sometimes
0: it's, it's Christy. Yep, it's rarely
1: Nick. Very so rarely.
0: Don't, don't expect it from Nick. Usually,
1: if I will you wanted- see something in passing, and that is as much attention as I can give to it because it's usually in the middle of my operational day. If you yes. want to
2: talk to Nick, you have to say, "Hey, Nick." Yeah, pretty much. And then
0: we'll say, "Hey, Nick, you need."
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much.
0: And we'll we'll talk a little bit more about stuff. Like Bob gave us some stuff for the holidays, and I forgot to bring it. Because I checked the P.O. box and yes, I got to bring it, but that's
1: okay. Thank uh, you, Bob. Thanks,
0: Bob. And we'll we'll You're talk great. about that again in the post episode. Thank you so much for listening. We really do appreciate it, and any support you give is amazing. We hope you had a great holiday season and a happy new year. And we'll catch you guys next week.
2: Keep your airspeed up.
0: Please like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram
2: at Hard Landings Podcast, and on Twitter at Hard Landings Pod. Subscribe and leave a five star review on the platform you are using to listen.
1: If you would like to see photos and sources for this episode, please visit us at hardlandingspodcast.com, where you can also leave us feedback and ask questions.
2: This episode was researched and written by all three of us and edited by the beautiful Paige. Our theme song was written by Miranda and performed by all three of us plus Leo.
1: And our logo is by Naomi.
2: Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.